Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. That is my Ethel Merman. My Ethel Merman morning show. There's nothing quite like Ethel Merman to wake you up in the morning. <laughs> I've never had her wake me up. Oh, it's great. It's fantastic. It. Yeah, yeah. Hello, Ethel. You know, uh, this is the Matt Townsend Show day two, which is amazing to me. We They're going to let us keep doing well, that this. you're still here? Yeah. <laughs> You'd think once they got uh, clued in. Maybe nobody was it. listening yesterday. Maybe that was it. Maybe okay. that was it. At least nobody here. Well, you'd think that if nobody... Because, you know, our, our yeah. favorite listeners out in the in the vast land of the United States, yeah. you know, they love us. They love us. Anyway, welcome to the program. We're still here. Day number two. The Matt Townsend Show. <laughs> uh, one of the things that makes us different on this show, other than just the fact that we're different, is we like... We like to get into the news and the headlines, mm-hmm. but we also like to find solutions. You know, what good is just talking about something if you don't do anything about it, if right. you don't learn, if you don't grow, if you don't change? So, you know, today, the, I don't know if you've heard, but in the headlines, there's a lot of talk about vaccinations. No. Yeah, there are, yeah, there are tons of talk. I've heard nothing but snow recently. Have you? You watching the Weather Channel? No, my wife works for an airline. That's right. Yeah, you and the Weather Channel and the Airline Channel. Oh, that's that's what my wife has been watching is the Weather Channel. Boston, uh, yeah, Boston's you know oh, they're in deep. It. Yeah, five-ish feetish of snowish. Five-ish feetish. Yeah, of snowish. They're uh, they're digging out. By the way, it's so much snow they have to melt the snow. Is that what they're doing? Yeah. Because I was wondering where yeah. they're putting it all. No, all of the people of Boston are out on the streets with hair dryers. Oh, okay. And they're just melting snow. But what about the ones with flamethrowers? Nope. Nope, nope. That's dangerous. <laughs> they're just using, That's what I would use. Just using hair dryers. You don't even have a hair dryer. Do you? Uh, Your daughter's There's do. some in my house. You've got, yes. you've, I bet you've got four. Uh, no, there's only like three, I think, right now. No, there's four. See... Again, it's not fair. Utah ski resorts are like dying. I know. They're they're closing stuff down. Yeah. So why don't they just ship the snow instead of melting? Can't it? do it. Can't do it. Oh come on. No. Utah makes snow. We just make our own. Snow. True. But, it is cold enough up at the ski resorts. To but do you know, that. see, it's a weird little phenomenon because in Utah, so you remember kind of the old Spicoli kind of guy, the surfer dude, that like <laughs> righteous. Yeah. Well, in the winter, they all come to Utah, in, in, and they all are on the ski resort, the more updated, on the slopes. The more updated character of that is now Crush from Finding Nemo. Okay, yeah, Crush. Yeah. Uh, Crush isn't a human. No. Yeah. I didn't say he was. Turtle, right? Wasn't he a turtle? But he's yep. a dude. So it's just like that. So all the surfer dudes that are up at the ski resorts, they're yeah. like totally <laughs> frustrated. Man, I can't get my ski There's on. There's no total bummer, dude. My wife took my son skiing. Uh, like for his fourth time, and and he came back talking like that. Actually, he came back hardly talking, okay. semi-conscious with a with a little bit of a head injury. <laughs> the only time wow. I've ever, I, I, 
I don't know. I don't. I don't get skiing. Okay, I live in. Why well, I live in a not to big get. ski? Yeah, you know, industry state. Yeah, I understand that. I, the only time I have been skiing, two of my friends had to be taken to the hospital. Oh, really? Yes. One of them had an almost yeah. broken sternum. Oh, wow. And the other one had a separated shoulder. Well, I think your friends need ski lessons. And so, I, I mean, <laughs> but that was the first and only we, time I've ever been no, skiing. No, we've had every one of our – in fact, we've had three children hurt on the same lift, on See? the same run. <laughs> I'm sorry. Skiing yeah. is stay, dangerous. Stay off the double black diamond. Yeah. It's, it's not a good idea. <laughs> so he face planted it and he, you know, he typed like this now. Oh, no, no, he doesn't. He doesn't. He's listening right now, so he's going to be mad. But yep. my he, my wife's skiing down. She's like, man, everyone's wearing helmets now. She hasn't been skiing for years. Everyone wears helmets. I wonder why. Everyone, and then all of a sudden, he crushes. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. That's okay, now I, I know why. That, that makes sense. <laughs> That's because the NFL mandates them now, isn't it? That's exactly that? right. And, you know, there's been a lot of horrible accidents on the slopes. That's so true. My son, you know. Bless you, son. I still remember Sonny Bono. Yeah. Do you remember? Yes. Sad. It is. Tragic, actually. Um, other headlines. Uh, you, I'm sure you heard yesterday the Supreme Court's decision uh, on gay marriage. I did not In hear Alabama. That. Oh, yeah. No, that, yeah. yeah the that. U.S. Supreme Court mm-hmm. moves Monday to allow gay marriage to proceed in Alabama. But what they're starting to do, and there's a lot of news articles around this subject. Reuters has one that talks about the fact that it looks like the justices may be tipping their hand toward their future stance. Well, aren't they? They are going to consider a case that would be widespread. Uh-huh, they wouldn't would, it? They would take all of them into account, right? Because uh, right now, of the nine justices, only two conservatives, Clarence Thomas and Antonin, Sc- Antonin Scalia. Descended yeah. from the court's refusal to block gay weddings. Tony, to his friends. Yeah, Tony started in Alabama. Gay marriage is now legal in 37 states. Mm-hmm. But there are some cases that are coming up, right, where, you know, they're trying to reverse that. But it looks like the Supreme Court is not uh, – they're not going to lean that way. And they're starting to slowly – not slowly. Actually, according to Clarence Thomas, it looks like the other justices' minds are made up on gay marriage. So it's going the way it's going. Uh, and that's in the news. Another Ukraine. Holy cow. What's going on there now? The Ukraine, you know, Russia and Ukraine. I'm telling you, we've got a problem. Uh, uh, Angela, how do you say her name? Merkel. But her, they, you pronounce her name weird. Angela or something Merkel. Yeah, well, it's... it's Say it. Say it's it. German. No, but I don't say it know. with your Italian. I guess we'll say Angela Merkel. Angela oh, Merkel. <laughs> okay. you don't not have the to, Ethel Merman. You don't have to. <laughs> yeah. You're not. Yeah. Don't Pretty sure that. that was it. That was it. Um, so she's trying to kind of negotiate a little peace process between the United States and Russia, trying to back Russia down. But if, if oh, Russia doesn't okay. get their act together, then the United States is going to probably have to support Ukraine with arms. That's very possible. And I can see, I can see why we are we are going head to head with Putin. Yeah, the Putinator. We're taking him on. It's a big deal. I mean, that's like big news. Like all of a sudden, we could end up. Things have escalated. Like we're out of war in Iraq, but we may be going to war. You know, subtly. I mean, not subtly under the table. I also think sometimes the United States gets pushed into a corner. If we don't help, we look we look like we're not. You know, part of the part of the world, but if we do help, we're called a bully. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I mean, and that's the problem is that's what happens when you're the big kid. Yeah. Yep. When you're the big kid, you got to step in on everything. Mm-hmm. Did you hear about the Pope? 
I've heard of him. You know, he really, I have a feeling he just ruined the lives of a lot of Catholic children. Why? Because the Pope says it's okay to spank kids. Oh, oh no. If their dignity is kept. And uh, right then, tens of millions, probably hundreds of millions of little Catholic children had their eyes pop wide open. And, 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 <laughs> and they're and, like, what? And all of the Catholic school nuns are going, yes. Exactly. Perfect. It's interesting because that came up. In I mean, this... I've, already, I've always heard – I've never been to a Catholic school, but I've always heard There's stories. Yeah. Right. Pope Francis says it's okay to spank your children to discipline them as long as their dignity is maintained. Okay. And now all of the little kids all over the world are like, great. But you know what's neat? Since this announcement, more children are doing their homework. Really? Yes. Mine all of a sudden did their homework last night. And I hadn't heard about this. (laughs) All of the beds are being made in Catholic homes around the world. Wow. It's powerful. Mm Mm-hmm. And they, and, they, and they all came home early last night. Yeah, they all <laughs> got home. Every, everyone was home early. Everyone was just saying, Mother, is there anything I can do for you? How can I help, Mother? Papa, can you hear me? Uh, no, they didn't do that. And so uh, the Catholic Church's position on corporal punishment came under sharp criticism last year during a grilling by members of the UN Human Rights Committee monitoring the implementation of the UN Treaty on the Rights of, chi- of the Child, the Holy See. Um, basically, you know, he, he, he's making this statement because a lot of a lot of I mean, some of the Catholic schools did get in a little bit of trouble. Yes. And now the U.N. is, is kind of getting on them anyway. So that's great. I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't I think there's probably better ways than spanking. Not yeah. to take the pope on. No, but there's you know, there's better ways to discipline your children than spanking. But I do think it's pretty funny that, you know. Now all the kids are getting their homework Kind of done. a world leader. Totally a world leader. Uh, that's uh, that's the, you know, just a little review of the headlines. Here's some other stuff we're going to be talking about in the show today. We're getting in deep, folks, on vaccinations. That we are. We're taking it from every angle when we come back from those that, you know, basically work on the the actual science behind making, a, making a vaccination to the doctors that have to make sure everybody's getting their shots. To some other examples of people who just can't have vaccinations because of health reasons, we'll be talking about all of it. Up next, right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about vaccinations. I mean, there's a big, there's just a big, I don't know what you call it, debate, I guess, going on. A lot of people uh, have have so many different, you know, um, fears, concerns, worries about vaccinations. Others are like, nah, just give me the shot. Mm-hmm. Just give me the shot. So we decided we want to cover it from every angle. You know, uh, this all began at Disneyland recently. Um, well, that's where the news story well, started. That, that's, yeah. yeah, the and whole hullabaloo just took place after, you know, the happiest place on Earth had a recent outbreak of measles. And uh, so far now, 120, how many was it? Nine, 129 121, actually, people are now affected with uh, measles due to the uh, Disneyland event. And... 
we don't even know. I think we fight about I mean, measles. We fight about the vaccinations. Is it healthy? There's mercury somewhere laced inside each of these vaccinations as a preservative. Anyway, let's go to the experts that actually know what they're talking about. Uh, one of them is Dr. Savage, uh, who is a professor of chemistry at BYU. He joins us now to give us some lights on uh, the working of viruses and vaccines. Dr. Savage, welcome. Paul Savage, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. It's great to have you uh, on the show. We really wanted to pick your brain and just have you teach us about, you know, viruses, vaccinations, how this all works and 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 some of the some of the just the inside news and inside scoop you have as somebody that gets in to the vaccination and and knows exactly what's going on inside of it first of all just talk to us a little bit about viruses so well viruses are are small organisms that replicate within our cells and obviously cause disease but but vaccines aren't only to prevent viral infections. There are also vaccines to prevent bacterial infections as well. So vaccines can work on all forms of infection? Well, really targeted toward viruses and bacteria. There's there's some ideas of of being able to to treat uh, uh, parasitic infections, but uh, I, I don't know that there are good vaccines for any. And and as somebody that works, you know, on 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 basically the research around vaccinations, do you feel they're safe? Well, this is this this is an area that uh, we're we're working to make vaccines more convenient and easier to use. Uh, that that that's our our direction here. So I. I personally consider them safe, but uh, our our research is to make them easier to use and more effective. I mean, I guess that is part of it, too, right? The vaccination would involve a needle. Right. And the needle is why most children probably hate their pediatrician. (laughs) Part of of what we're doing is cutting, is working to cut down the number of times vaccinations have to occur. For some some vaccinations require multiple applications. So one that we're working on now currently requires four individual injections, uh, and we're working on cutting that down. Is um, I mean, I know they have – I know inside of these vaccinations, they also have – it kind of they and there's been a history of people believing that they they some of the the preservatives that you use to put in there, um, uh, the ethyl mercury I think it is um, that goes in to preserve and and to I guess to make sure that the the vaccination sample stays pure is that is is that really uh, is that a cause of autism is that is that something that might make you know or, or create other developmental disorders I mean I know that historically has been one of the great myths or problems right so so the same preservatives aren't used in all in all vaccines but uh, my reading of the epidemiology is that that there is no correlation here even though there there was a there was a fraudulent paper that was put out and then retracted that showed some correlation but again that was that that wasn't just Corrected. That was that was retracted. Like, that that yeah. in, in terms of scientific literature is a, is a is a big issue and, and is a very clear evidence that there were, 
that there were significant problems with that study. And, and, and I get, yeah, that created, I guess, all of the, the questions. But it's, I guess since it's then been debunked and – and yet it seems like that there really are – there are still some um, – you know, there, there's some side effects, some consequences that can come from from uh, people being immunized and vaccinated. What are some of those things that we should worry about? How, how – you know, how do we – how does just the average parent know how to feel about this? Well, I, I think all of these things that we have to consider risk factors and – there, I mean that, that the incidence of adverse effects associated with vaccines are well published and they're well established and they're very, very minor. And one has to realize that that is a very minor risk. But when one balances that with the risks associated with specific diseases, and and one can can go down the list of all of these diseases, especially childhood diseases, that years ago were were tremendous problems. And and uh, from polio, we talk about measles, yeah. and and whooping cough. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. The the risks associated with getting any of those diseases far far outweigh any any minor, very very small risk associated with vaccination. I mean, that's and, that's good to know because, I mean, measles, we, we don't know much about it, but in the 50s, it was a big deal. I mean, I, I, up to the 50s, it was a big deal. And um, I, I, it's almost like just generationally, we don't get how big of a potential hazard this could be. No, I mean, I, 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 I know the stories of, of, of polio and just the, the fears that would go through through neighborhoods and whole communities through the summer as, as, as polio would spread. And, and that is completely foreign to us now. We, 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 don't, we don't even think about that anymore. Right. I mean, do you, um, as, as, as somebody who researches this in a chemistry lab, and and I guess too you're trying to make it easier, just so that when I look at just the list of everything we need to take our kids to be immunized on, it seems overwhelming. It seems like can't you just combine a bunch of these? Can't you make the mega shot? Is there is there no other way to just make it easier? Yeah, I, I think that one of the one of the things that everyone needs to realize is that our immune systems are continually on surveillance and we're exposed to a tremendous amount of different pathogens on a daily basis. And getting a few vaccines is is a minor inconvenience and really for our immune systems is just part of them learning and being trained to recognize pathogens. I know people might consider it a, a an inconvenience to, to get the vaccines, but at the same time, considering what the what the what the potential is for getting a disease or or an infection it, it, it's 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 a very minor compared to the problems associated with the diseases themselves I mean that's a great way to look at it you're really just it's you know you're just kind of getting yourself infected and and then well, building up the antibodies to to handle it isn't that the basic premise yeah but the but the idea is that you're not 
getting the disease, and that is the beauty of vaccination, is that we can instruct the immune system as if the your body had been infected, but you don't face the the symptoms and the consequences of the disease. Hmm. And and that is why vaccination is such a powerful way to avoid disease is it is shortcutting that process of getting disease, having your immune system respond to it so you don't get the disease again. Instead, vaccination is instructing the immune system so that we don't get the disease without having have to have had it. That's that's the the beauty of it. That's powerful. Does the is it a one time deal? Like I mean, once you've been immunized, I mean, I, I know some of the research shows you can still a lot of these people that are still being infected had their immunizations as well. Right, and it depends on the immune response. Uh, the, the and that's part of the further development of vaccines is that. In, in getting vaccinated, what we're trying to do is generate what we call a memory response. Our immune system has a memory associated with it, and we would like to extend that as far as possible. But as you're probably well aware, there, there are certain uh, vaccinations that require boosters later on, sort of a way to remind the immune system that this was once there and make sure that those memory res- responses persist. Hmm. Well, I think it's um it's uh, it's just it's fascinating to see how far we've come that you don't have to have this pandemic that sweeps the earth uh especially of something like measles or polio which are are things we've already been able to uh to, you know, terminate, well, to minimize. Right. So, I appreciate there, your work. And there're tremendous advances coming in in vaccination as well. Uh, looking at how vaccines were developed, really they were first developed without any understanding of what they were really doing. But we understand down to the molecular level what's happening. Wow. And we're fine-tuning vaccines now at the molecular level so that we can pinpoint those parts of the pathogen that that give the memory response. Oh. That's really where the development yeah. is occurring right well, now. What a hopeful future. What a hopeful future we have. Dr. Paul Savage, we so appreciate you. Again, uh, Dr. Paul Savage is the Reed M. Isaac Professor of Chemistry and Biochemistry at Brigham Young University. So appreciate his great work. Man, look forward to a future where, I mean, you can only imagine when we really start wrapping our knowledge around this issue, how far we can take this. Maybe there will be a day where you can immunize against cancer, immunize against Alzheimer's, uh, or just at least start working on it. Powerful stuff. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to come back, continue this discussion about immunizations right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Can't you see I'm burning, burning, doctor? It must be my injection site from my immunization. Today we're talking about vaccinations, immunizations, and, uh, you know, it's it's a really difficult thing. A lot of people have very strong religious beliefs about not uh, being vaccinated. Others have other reasons why they, they really 
can't do it for health reasons. But uh, we wanted to call in Dr. Miner. Now, Dr. Miner is, um, his name is Dr. Joseph Miner. He's the executive director of the Utah County Health Department. And, you know, as 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 an entity, the health department in every county across the country has a responsibility to to make sure that as a whole we are healthier and uh, vaccinations are one of their great tools to do that. So, Dr. Miner, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, uh, thank you very much. So good to have you. Talk to us. Uh, I mean, it's a difficult job to try to get as many people as you possibly can healthy and vaccinated, because aren't we healthier as a whole when we have as many people vaccinated? Oh, absolutely. Uh Immunizations uh, have been revolutionary in the health of uh, people around the world, and especially here in the United States. It's one of the greatest uh, accomplishments of uh, health care and public health. What would you say, Dr. Miner, to you know those who have read studies or whose, whose children have um, some, some have autism or other kind of you know mental uh, have been impacted, they believe strongly, by vaccinations, by immunizations, and their children are more delayed in their in their mental development. Well, uh, that uh, concern has been raised and has been thoroughly studied by the best researchers uh, throughout the country, and it uh, it's not controversial. Immunizations do not cause autism. They're not associated with autism. It's not even controversial. So it's not even really, that's just not health, that's not real data. It does, exactly. There's not it a does, correlation. It, it does not happen. There is not even controversial. There is no association between uh, autism and uh, immunizations in general, or specifically measles immunization. What, talk about then, I mean, so part of this is just education, and I guess that is that is, ends up being a lot of what you have to do, right? That's true. Uh, years ago, there was a physician in Great Britain who uh, fraudulently created some research data showing that association between autism and measles. He's been completely discredited. That research was fraudulent. Uh, He lost his medical license, Hmm. and the journal that published this, The Lancet, retracted uh, the um, article. And so, but many people uh, hold on to that, believe there's some truth to it, even though it's been totally discredited, that research. Well, I mean, and it's a big deal. One one study starts to pull a bunch of people you know, out of the pool, because it was about 15 years ago, the United States proclaimed itself to be measles free. And then so what's now happened? Well, a lot of people, uh, uh, immunizations are a victim of their own success. Hmm. They are so effective. They have done so much to improve the health of people and um, make these diseases that they prevent fairly uncommon uh, that uh, people don't understand that they exist and that they're very serious, deadly diseases. Oh, that's true, huh? And then all of a sudden they don't need it. I mean, people Absolutely. aren't dying of measles. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so they uh, get complacent for a couple of generations. Uh, for s- several generations, people uh, are not seeing people uh, dying from the diseases and think that my child's not going to get it. 
lot of people will think, well, a lot of people are immunized out there, so I hope they get their immunizations so I don't have to mm-hmm. get my children immunized. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, let's let everybody else do it. Exactly. But, the, the, but if everyone thinks like they do, uh, we will regress to uh, to the past when uh, it's very, very uh, dangerous. You but, walk through a cemetery uh, from 100 years ago, and there are all kinds of grave sites of toddlers and infants, yeah. toddlers who died of these vaccine-preventable diseases that we I uh, don't see many people die from now. I, I, in fact, I saw an article basically claiming that, you know, not being immunized is like or vaccinated is, is the equivalent of drunk driving. You put you're putting me at risk on the on the road. Are you do you believe I mean, is it that big of a deal oh, that you're putting me at risk if you are not being immunized? Absolutely. People who don't immunize, they think they are willing and just taking um, the risk for themselves and for their children. But that's not true. They put at risk everyone else's uh, newborn children or infants. Any children under one year of age are not immunized for measles. Hmm. We don't immunize for measles till one year of age. So in our county alone, Utah County, we have 12,000 babies every year that are unimmunized for that full year. So, I mean, even that is a risk. There, there is the idea of like the, I can't remember, like, like the herd uh, and the community um, uh, Im- immunity. Immunity, yeah. It's called, yeah. It's called herd immunity, where, where if you have 95% of your population immunized, 90 or 95, depending on the disease, needs to be higher with measles because it is so contagious and infectious. Uh, you have a uh, a protective effect to even those who are not immunized or also to those who think they're immunized but didn't develop immunity. Hmm. You know, there's a certain percent of anyone who's immunized that will not uh, develop immunity. So we immunize to protect them and we immunize to protect those with leukemia or organ transplants who can't be immunized and don't have the immunity to withstand the infection. So we immunize, that's why it's such a public health issue, we immunize for the entire community to protect others. And I I like that idea because, I mean, there really are people that can't do it for whatever reason, and yet the rest of us can. So I guess those that can should to protect everyone. Oh, absolutely. It, it, It behooves all of us to immunize to protect other people's infants and uh, otherwise, you are intentionally uh, putting at risk infants that you see in um, church yeah. church meetings or at family reunions or just anywhere out in public uh, shopping or uh, at the movie theater. Uh, you're intentionally deciding, I'm going to put at risk other people's uh, infants and newborn babies and infants infants and those who uh, have lost their immunity due to serious medical problems. Well, Dr. Miner, we so appreciate you. And, um, you know, we, we laud your work. I mean, that's, it's got to be hard to try to convince a lot of uh, free spirits and free minds to go, you know, do what's best for everybody. So we appreciate you again and, and continued success uh, as the executive director of the Utah County Health Department. 
We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we, we have two very special educators with us here. Uh, they're nurse educators, nurse practitioner educators teaching uh, the front line of, uh, of the nursing world here at Brigham Young University. But they also have a very personal story about immunization and, uh, and maybe even something we need to watch out for, which is where we tend to ostracize those that maybe aren't being um, immunized as well. We'll be talking about some families that have even been bullied because they couldn't be or have their children vaccinated for a variety of reasons. This is the Matt Townsend Show, back with more on immunizations and vaccinations right here on the BYU uh, Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we are discussing in depth from pretty much every angle you can think of the immunization, you know, battle, the challenge. And so we brought in two associate professors or professors here from Brigham Young University. One uh, professor is Beth Luthi. She's the associate professor and teaches nursing practitioner students at the College of Nursing at Brigham Young University. Her passion for immunization started almost three decades ago when her son, who could not be immunized for health reasons, contracted several vaccine-preventable diseases. And since then, Professor Luthi has dedicated her nursing career to increasing immunization awareness. We're also talking with Lacey Eden, who is an assistant teaching professor in the College of Nursing at BYU, and she serves as the chair of the Utah County Immunization Coalition. Lacey is a nurse practitioner and sees patients in a pediatric practice where questions and concerns about immunization are frequently addressed. Thanks for being here, ladies. Thanks. I mean, you you have real-life experience. Beth, you've got a kid many moons ago Mm -hmm. who couldn't be immunized. Right, right. So he was born with um, a pretty rare liver disease called biliary atresia and ended up having a liver transplant. Um, And then after receiving a solid organ transplant, this is kind of what Dr. Miner was talking about um, in the last segment, but um, so that your body doesn't fight the new organ. Right. Um, they'll actually put your put you on um, immune suppression medication. It keeps your body from attacking Itself. something that yeah. it thinks is foreign. But the problem is is that now it can't attack anything, anything. else that really would be wonderful so you can't, to then, fight yeah, off. Then you can't inject something that it would have to fight. Right. 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 So so that's how we found um that's the situation we found ourselves in. Um you know, very, very ill, um, finally has a transplant. And they had, um, the transplant team had recommended that we not vaccinate um, for for just a little bit while he was on his highest doses right. of medication, which which worried me as a mother. I, I mean, I was really concerned. Um, and and then I had heard about this thing called the hurt effect and thought, well, OK, as long as people around him are vaccinated, are um, then then that's going to help protect yeah. him. Otherwise, it's I mean, I don't even want to take him out of the house. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's really, really scary. So. um so we we relied on the herd effect, and unfortunately, it, it didn't work out for for us. And what um, did he what did he pick up? What did he get? Well, he um, so he couldn't receive the varicella vaccine, which is the chickenpox vaccine. So oh. we caught the chickenpox, and 
And while I guess for a normal healthy immune system, those children are home ill for a while. My, mine was in the ICU oh, um, for months. Chicken pox. For months with oh, chickenpox, wow. um, which was crazy. Yeah. Um, he also caught um, pertussis, or more commonly known as whooping cough. And he was sick for six months. And I hear that's on the rise as well. Pertussis is going up and up, isn't it? Yeah. I guess just because yeah. people aren't immunizing. Um, there there are a couple of reasons for it. Um, I, I mean, we don't have the greatest vaccination rates. We should be much better. Yes. We should be much, much better. Um, uh, you know, another part of it is um, we started putting pertussis back into vaccinations and mixing it with tetanus. Mm-hmm. Uh, about 2005 is when we did that. Um, so you have to kind of keep an eye on it and, and try to figure out, is that a lifelong immunity? Is that yeah. something that... How often do we need to exactly. boost it? So I, I think we're still um, gathering information about that. So chickenpox, whoop, whooping cough, influenza. We caught influenza. Um, he caught rotavirus. Now, back when he was a child... Wow, he got there, them all. He, he certainly did. There, there wasn't um, a vaccination for rotavirus back then. There is now. Yeah. But we wouldn't have been eligible for that one either. So it's, it was it's, a rough go. Well, and again, you're, that's kind of the anomaly, right? And then there's the rest that they maybe some people don't quite know what they're going to go through if they start getting these. Like, I mean, measles is a big deal. Yeah. It, and yet it's, it's we a don't, horrific disease. We don't know how big of a deal. Talk about that. Maybe, Lacey, teach us a little bit about that. So with measles, you... It starts just with regular cold symptoms. And so a lot of kids will go to school with just feeling like they have a cold um, and end up with it actually being measles, which is why it's such a huge deal with the outbreak at Disneyland. Um, It is the easiest transmissible disease. Yeah, and it's um, fast, isn't it? And it's really, really fast. And so um, those who are immunocompromised or unable to be immunized will experience – very severe side effects, pneumonia. Some will even experience issues with the brain, like encephalitis. That's right. Um, So it's definitely something that, especially in Utah County, we could improve our immunization rates to prevent this rise. Which is part of your charge. You guys are, you're you're so motivated you wear shirts. (laughs) Yes, we do. That say, that say, And uh, and brought you some too. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, by the way. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go put it on at the break. Ask us what the fuss is. We're stopping pertussis. Hmm. <laughs> creative. It's very creative, and it's got a superhero on it. That's but right. I mean, what's you're on the inside? You're on the front line of this thing, nurse practitioners, and you're educating nurses. Um, what do you see? What do you and what do you say? What do you say to the person? That just for whatever reason, maybe either misinformation or they really truly believe their child uh, has contracted, I guess, autism because of an immunization. What do you say? You know, I think that's difficult because being a mom. Yeah. um, When you have something wrong with your child, you want to have someone explain to you exactly why they have this issue. And I think with autism, we're still... There's so much research out there trying to figure out exactly the cause. And so turning to the MMR vaccine is a great way for parents to have some sort of explanation for what may be going on with their child. However, the fact is that all of that research um, coming from the research that was debunked on MMR linking it to autism, it has never been linked again. There's never been... There's not another link. No. 
and yet it's still unexplainable, and yet the parents still kind of want to know. And exactly. that's what leaves us hanging because then we need to make it up. We need something, and and that gives us some hope. Right. But it's still – you want to be accurate for your children's health. Yeah, and, you know, I I would just like to say I understand. <laughs> I There's a lot of empathy here yeah. because, you know, I nobody knows what causes biliary atresia. But I wanted to know you what caused, know. Yeah. Um, because I didn't want it to happen again. Well, yeah, you, and... you were like, is it my in-laws? <laughs> <laughs> Did my in-laws do this? Yeah, I understand. Yeah, my in-laws are the healthiest <laughs> people on the, the planet. So, so... <laughs> yeah. But but I understand needing and looking uh-huh. um, for for some reason, and and um, everyone on the transplant team kept telling me, "Well, it, we don't know, mm-hmm. we don't know." And I said, "Well, but there's got to be something. There's got to be something." Um, it, it's I, I read an article that said everyone's like starting to believe this is because we have so much immigration and people from other countries are coming and they're bringing all of these diseases. And then they combated that with saying, it's actually not. It's kind of middle to upper class people that are now saying, we're not going to immunize our children by choice because we're trying to live a healthier, clean life, not injecting anything in us that we can't pronounce. And yet you couldn't pronounce half of the stuff that's going in an immunization, and yet it's going to heal you or help you. Yeah, um, and, and I think for your listeners who are wanting to do a little more reading, maybe just for yeah, where do they go? I, I think the best book that I have read is one by Paul Offit. It's called Deadly Choices: How the Anti-Vaccine Movement Threatens Us All, hmm. and he actually comes through all of the most common concerns um, that that. A lot of parents have and explains um, and, and does it in a real and a, a fantastic way. So let me get this straight. You are telling me that it's not a government conspiracy <laughs> to inject us with chemicals that they can then use to control us. <laughs> right. What? What? I don't know what the end game of that would be. <laughs> I, I know, like really <laughs> to vote to get you to vote. Um, it, but it, it's it's such a personal thing though too. When you take your kid in and they and the, uh, we actually had. Like a a German nurse with a German accent that would give the shots. So we had names for her. But when you when you turn your kid over for a list of shots, it's a big deal, and that it, it creates this weird animosity about you're hurting my baby yeah. for this. But it's life. It is, and you're right. It is very stressful. It raises anxiety for parents and for kids to go into the clinic and get their immunizations. I mean, there's been studies that show lifelong fear of needles from childhood vaccinations. Oh, yeah. And what? and so as um, as nurse practitioners, as pediatricians, it is a big deal for us to try and make that experience mm-hmm. as pleasant as, as we can for those kids because we do understand that yeah. that is a life and long worry and stress on the parents. Well, and again, if we could go back and see some child in a polio tank or whatever they called the a lung. I mean, are you kidding me? People no. were dying yeah. and your buddy could die of polio just half a century ago. I mean, and all of those things can come back again. I mean, we are constantly um, at risk. Yeah. Constantly at risk. And and so that's why it's so important to to stay aggressive with with immunizations because we we don't want to go back to that no, time. We can't go back to it, can we? Um it's in the end, just give us this. Just what's the one thing we should do? If, if anyone has concerns, go read about it. Go study. 
And what what's the one thing that you know, just in your experience, what can you say about immunization? I think for me, being working in a pediatric clinic, the biggest thing is to be vocal. If you um, are pro about having your immunizations and having your kids be immunized, then voice that to your friends, to your family. I notice that with the um, parents that come into the clinic, those who are on the fence about getting, getting immunized are usually there because of yeah. something they heard from a friend or a, or a family member. And that gives me the opportunity to clarify those questions for them. Yeah. And, and then, then talk, talk to your, talk to your doctor, talk to your nurse. Exactly. Anything from you, Beth, just as the mom of somebody who had who was compromised? Right, right. I I think um it it's important to to understand that it, it really is um it's a community responsibility. And and um you know, sometimes I think parents think, well, I, you know, if I don't immunize my child, yeah. it's just my child and that's not it's the case not, at all. It? Um it we're all interconnected and um we we are. That's we live and die together. Yes, we do. I mean, unless we start sending people off to islands, which might not be a bad idea, because I got a few that I'd like to send. Um, appreciate you guys. Seriously, thank you for your work and thank you for your positive energy. Thank you. We need it on this issue. We're going to take a break, my friends. Continue this discussion uh, when we come back. Just more great stuff right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. Top of the morning to you. Welcome to the second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. I am the host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Now, this may sound like a new voice. Marcus is no longer here. Marcus has left the building. Has left the building. Uh, Marcus, who uh, was filling in on the morning show for three years. Do we dare say the king has left the building? He is the king. Yeah. But Marcus Smith. uh, You want to raise, don't you? As, yeah, Marcus Smith wanted a better life. And so they said, hey, Matt, you do the afternoon show. Why don't you come in and do the morning show? Why don't, why don't you ruin your life yeah. and do the mornings now? And like a really eager little, I don't know, rabbit, excited to go get some carrots. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I ran. Yeah. And then snap, there was a trap. And I was stuck at six in the morning. And now you're in it. It sounds negative, but it was actually a really great experience. Uh, it's early to do this show. Have you guys yeah, noticed that? Everybody on the East Coast is going, what? Yeah. Early? <laughs> what? At 6 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, I was actually True. five quarter to six I was here. It was early. And I saw James come in. This was fun. And it was dark. It was very dark. But it's totally worth it. So on this show, we have a little bit different approach. We like to have fun. So I always kind of talk about we want to have fun with this because if it's not, if we're not learning, why are we here? We've got to be learning. And uh, we also are going to get into headlines and have great well, guests. I don't I, learning insightful. You're you're a, a, a relationship coach, yeah. And so we learn a lot from that. But sure. I think there's you have to get you have to do more of a holistic learning, right? And that's what we like to do on the show. You have to learn about your world as well as right. your yourself. We all sit here, and I guess you could you can get news anywhere. Mm-hmm. So if all you want is information, like about you know who died where. What happened here? That's probably not what we do. 
because mm-hmm. we're not just a news source. But we are – we're going to bring you insight and relevant depth to how these stories apply to you and what – you know, every one of us need to get through this life. And most of us never got a handbook. Um, so this show is the handbook oh, to help you through. Where's the printing press? It's my mouth. Oh, jeez. <laughs> my mouth is the printing press. Anyway, hey, here's some uh, headlines for you. Did you hear what's happening in Boston again? Boston? Boston. Two more feet of snow. Oh, uh, I know. They're canceling no. again. Monday's I, been canceled. I hear about this all the time. Do you? Yes. Oh, why? My wife works for an airline. That's right. Who has flights that go in and out of Boston. Right. So, so she knows. My wife has been, uh, the last three weekends, my wife has been working. A lot. She's trying to change everyone's schedule. Boston Public Schools will be closed Monday and Tuesday as the city prepares for another major snowstorm. That's two more feet on top of their already like four or five feet that Mm -hmm. they have. Again, I think this – I don't want to start rumors, but this is definitely connected to the Super Bowl. Ship it to us. We need to And meanwhile, 65 degrees this weekend here in Utah. I know. There's no snow. It's crazy. It's killing us. It's killing us. Anyway, we're – again, you're in our prayers, Boston. Um, It is a lot of work, man. How do you – but they're going to start ticketing again. I don't know if you remember, but John Kerry's family got ticketed because they don't shovel their walks. Really? Yeah. So if you're John Kerry, well, Carey, if you don't shovel, how can you tell that there's even walks yeah. <laughs> with that much? Snow? Well, that's it because the, the neighbors shovel their walks. Oh, I and see. And then all of a sudden you're just left with, and some, then you just have a four a, feet like, of snow drop off of. Yeah, yeah. It seems like at some point they're going to have to start investing in like tunneling equipment you to would take think. care of that snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Just ooh tunnels. The there tunnels of Boston. Yes. No. They well, they already have. have yes. They already have. That was the major construction uh, that was going on the many, many moons ago. They called it the Big Dig. The Big Dig. Now they're still involved in the Big Dig. Yeah, but this is digging out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Making tunnels. Big Dig 2.0. But I want to know how many houses have tons of snow on top of them right now. Yeah. On the roof. Back in the day. Remember, that's, that was a big deal. That's got to be a big worry. Oh, yeah. In fact, I, I remember as a kid, you know, we had, I don't know, four feet, five feet, six feet just in a couple of days. Houses mm-hmm. were caving in. Oh, yes. I People remember People were that. inventing little tools, devices, booms you to get up on the roof. You weren't that much of a kid, believe me. Okay. Because true. I was 20. I was here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're saying I'm old. You're there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we are. I don't have an AARP I can, card. I can qualify for that now because <laughs> I've been told I'm old. No, you are old. Remember? The 200-year-old mummy? Yeah. You're the 200-year-old daddy. Right. That sounds rude. I didn't mean offense. <laughs> hey, uh, today, did you, they're one of my favorite stories, and it's, it's kind of getting into the realm of parenting. What if I told you that uh, – what if one day you're just sitting there, you're on Facebook looking around, you, you go to your police station Facebook page, mm-hmm. you're looking around, and all of a sudden you see a video. Now, I do – I have – have done you done this? this? There's, there is a there is there is a local police office that puts their police beat out on their Facebook page. Mm. And the thing is, though, the person who's writing it has makes comments in the police oh, really? beat, and it is hilarious. Are they funny? So, yes, so they you, are. Yeah. I, I used to do that at university. They'd write a really funny yes. little, I yeah. know what they mm-hmm. called it, but, but it, would, it was cool. This, so you're, you're so searching. This mom's just looking on her local Facebook uh, Facebook page of her local police department, and mm-hmm. she sees a picture of a wanted man. Somebody had, had gone into a store, and they stole $670 worth of PlayStation and Xbox controllers from Target. Ooh. 
So there is, and they have a picture of him in Target, and this woman noticed that it was her son. Oh, no. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> that oh. is like, oh, you are so no, no, grounded. Now, here's, oh, no, her son <laughs> lived in the house? I don't know. No, it, it just says that she then reported to the police department that that was her son. She turned her son in. Oh, geez. She was probably livid. <laughs> she was at home on our Facebook page. Officer Sergeant Chris Parmation told uh, the station, this, this station reporting this. She is at home on our Facebook page, comes across the bulletin that we are attempting to identify a thief. Lo, behold, it's her son. She then stormed her 18-year-old into her 18-year-old son's bedroom oh at my gosh, 1 a.m. at home. And offered him due process. Oh, jeez. Oh. Game on! Oh. <laughs> the wrath of oh, mom. Yeah. My. Her son was later Holy arrested cow. at home and was begging the police to take him away. Please get me out of here. My mom's crazy. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Would you? How hard would that be? Do you turn? Oh. For that mom, it didn't seem that hard. Well, you have to turn him in because now if, it, if you don't, you know, maybe dad will. You're an accomplice. Or grandma or anybody well, else yeah. that's looking. Especially if he's storing the stolen items mm-hmm. in your house. Yeah. Oh, see, but that's... That's what stresses parents out. Yes. That's why parents should win awards. I agree. Do you think? Yes. I'm due one. Are you? <laughs> You're due one. So I, is my wife, actually. By the way, Sean has four lovely daughters. Mm-hmm. I have six children. Yeah. One daughter, five lovely boys who are all home listening. Because in the morning show, they can listen. That's true. Yeah. Are they listening now? Mine are at school. Uh, yeah, mine are probably being. My wife likes to always um, frisk them and search them to make sure they don't have any right. stolen goods on okay. them. Contraband. Yeah, mm-hmm. any contraband. Then she'll send them off. To Is school. there a metal detector as you yeah. come in and out of the house? Beep, beep. She okay. fans them with a wand. Take off your belt and your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, we're laughing, but it's true. Okay. We're um, laughing because it is true. Yeah, it's a sad truth. It's a very sad truth. But no, my kids are great. So. Um, one of the things we want to do, we're, we're, we've got a great guest coming up. Well, I hope my kids know that I would turn them in. I would turn mine in. Yeah. I think it would be better for them to go through that process and learn about it than to not have not have them do it again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've actually threatened to do that, mm-hmm. even though they hadn't done anything. <laughs> when we're driving in our car and they don't have their seatbelt on, like I'm like, okay, oh, I'm, there you go, go. I'm finding a cop. I'm finding a cop. There and you my go. kids start buckling up. But now my I kids are all neurotic. I just, I just pull over and stop the car. We're not going until you're buckled. Wow. Look how patient you are. I'm more threatening. Oh, no. It's, it's, it's more of a, why aren't you, you know. Don't the, make me come back there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Kevin Schaefer is going to be joining us. Um, he is a BYU professor that worked with, uh, Pepper, what was it, Princeton. Princeton professor. And they put together a study on step-parenting. And depression. And depression and the multiple roles we play. So if you are a step-parent, or by the way, even just a parent, this is going to be very insightful. Dr. Kevin Schaefer will be joining us. We're going to take a break and discuss depression in parenting. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show, the new morning show here on BYU Radio. This is day number one, hour number two. We're still hanging on. Hey, you know what else is great, James? They haven't fired us yet, which is half of the battle. Half of the battle. Uh, we, uh, we've been talking about your parenting skills and just the stress of parenting. It's, it hits every one of us. And I know a lot of you are driving to work. You've already had to drop off the kid. You had last night, you spent all night finishing their midterm project. You know, maybe at, yesterday afternoon you were digging an M&M out of their nose. You're like, man, you're 17, boy. Quit putting M&Ms up your nose. No. Yeah, Sean. Last night I was cleaning up a broken mirror. Ooh, that's seven years bad luck. My daughter broke it. <gasps> Does she know of the curse? She was leaning over in a chair. Yeah. The mirror, I don't, the mirror had been up on the vanity and had, had moved or something, so they took it yeah. down and they were going to put it back up, but they hadn't put it back up yet. Oh, she boy. fell into the mirror, has some cuts and stuff. Luckily, nothing oh, serious. Yes. Wow. Nothing That's dangerous. Nothing, yeah. you know, no, no stitches. No, nothing but deep enough was, to do that. It was but traumatic, it was, yeah. and she has a seven-year curse to now deal with. Yep. Wow, James is just getting over his curse. Yeah, I'll be done on, I think, March yeah. 15th. That's so That's great. why I'm surprised he got knives for his girlfriend. I know, it's totally weird. And it's also, so, that's why he's waiting to actually get engaged until the curse ends. <laughs> By the way, that's a great, it's a great rule for everyone out there in listener land. Don't ever make big decisions while you're under a seven-year mirror curse. Yeah, it usually goes over poorly. <laughs> it never works out right. Uh, anyway, so if you're stressed out because of your children or your stepchildren, We've got a study and an expert that might be able to help you, okay? The study was done by our guest, Dr. Kevin Schaefer, who is a professor here at Brigham Young University, assistant professor of social work here, and he published a, a study that was done with in, in, in um, cooperation with Princeton University, a study that was basically focusing on parents that take on multiple roles at home like being a mother and a stepmother, and the impact that has on depression. Let's pick his brain on this one. Dr. Kevin Schaefer, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for having me. So good to have you. And, you know, we, all, we already know parenting is stressful just, you know, in general. When you're, when you're digging something out of a little child's nose or you have to finish the project with them or they don't give you the details till the last minute, it's stressful. But in your research, you found out what? It might be more stressful than we think. Right. So um, I think when we think about the link between depression and parenting, I think one of the first things that we probably think about is postpartum depression. Right. And um, and that's a very serious issue, obviously, um, and don't want to minimize that in no. its importance at all. But what we found was that um, parents who took on uh, multiple roles, like you said, so they're a bio, they have a biological child, they have a stepchild, or maybe they have a, a residential stepchild and a non-residential biological child right. from a previous marriage. Um, those people are at very high risk for um, being depressed. Oh, it's so, interesting. Just yeah. the different roles is really what you found. Right. So what we found was that um, the combination, I think, the stress that comes from it and the, the different expectations uh -huh. uh, revolving around those different parenting types and those parenting roles, I think, is what increases stress and increases the likelihood of depression. So if we think about, let's say, someone who has a non-residential biological child, say, from a previous marriage, um, 
and then has a, a residential stepchild as well, they might feel uh, twinges of guilt for maybe being more involved in the lives of their stepchild than their own biological child, or um, yeah. they're not sure exactly how to parent um, their their biological child when they're not together uh, with their mom or dad. Is like, this is uh, this true only, Kevin, with uh, parenting roles, or is it is it any role like? If the mom has a role inside the house, I mean, being the mom, but also has employment outside of the home or Mm -hmm. also is on other community committees or whatever, do those roles also do increase depression? Yeah, there's some there's some evidence of that. There's some evidence that um, the more roles we try to take on um, as individuals, the more likely we're putting ourselves at risk for poor psychological well-being. So the the. The question that you raised in terms of the um, parent who works outside the home and then is parenting um, inside the home—that's we've known for several decades that that's yeah um, that increases the risk of depression. What's interesting is um, we traditionally have looked at that effect on moms, but more recently um, we've seen that effect actually emerge among dads as they've become. Um, more involved in the lives of their kids, yeah, and uh, greater demands have been placed on them at work. So interesting. I mean, it's and we've known that for years. I guess we haven't known that it impacts the men as much. But then your study, you know, sheds more light on the idea of parenting roles, step parenting roles, which is. I mean, we, we've always kind of heard that when you blend families, you know, it increases the likelihood of divorce. Is and I, I'm assuming that's still true. That's true, yeah. So, and is that this um, stress, this depression probably adds to that? Sure, yeah. So, um, stress and depression obviously are pretty big risk factors for being in a in a poor romantic relationship as well. So, um, particularly because the way that people manifest depression, either they turn in on themselves, and so they don't communicate with their partner, or they become uh, hyper aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so they become easy to anger. Um, they argue. They become very argumentative. They are more likely to shout. Um, even um, more likely to um, drink too much, or smoke, or use drugs, or um, engage in the use of pornography, or whatever it might be. So all of those things, obviously, could increase the likelihood that yeah. you're going to get divorced as well. So wow, it's almost it's. I guess it's it's interesting because it seemed like common sense that of course you'd be stressed and depressed, but now that we have the data, what what where does that take you as a researcher? Yeah, so as a researcher, I think um, that it's important to to sort of see like what the specific reasons are that these parents are depressed. So we know that there's a correlation between the two things, mm-hmm. but I don't think we know exactly what the mechanisms are that that lead to depression in parents. Um, I think the other thing is, is as a social worker, um, I'm highly interested in making sure that, that clinicians, whether they be social workers or psychologists or um, medical doctors, whoever it might be that, that might be um, diagnosing depression, that, they're, that they recognize um, the risk factors associated with depression. Oh, there you depression. go. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, it's almost like when somebody comes into my office and I'm talking to them and they're a mom, a new mom, and they're showing signs of depression, I, like you said earlier, I automatically think postpartum, right? Right, and, yeah. And yet now, but we a lot of times we don't necessarily think or take into these other categories the fact that they're a step-parent and a parent and they have their own children from the new marriage and 
all of these produce different roles. So you're basically trying to inform all of us out there. It's it's an indicator. It's a, it's a predictor of depression. Exactly. And and I think one of the really interesting things that um, has been found by the CDC and others is that parents are way less likely to go see a psychologist or a clinician about mental health issues right. if they are a parent. Right. And so because they don't want to admit, I think, that they're, that they're feeling stressed. It's supposed to be this really joyful thing. It's supposed to be this thing where you're just so happy that you have kids. And why am I feeling so sad and blue and, and not like myself? And, and the answer is it's both of those things, right? Um, right. Parenting is highly stressful, um, and it's also really joyful. And it can be both those things at the same time, and that's okay. Yeah. And yet we, here we sit, in a, and if you're not looking for that, you're sitting in your second marriage wondering why you're so down and right. and not even really having a good indicator why, and yet you're stressed in, in a level. You, and, we, and we just throw it on the kids. I, I hear it all the time. You know, if, we're really happy when the kids aren't there. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, yeah. well, yeah, who isn't, right? But it, the hard part is finding the happiness when the kids are there. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's I think that's why we need to be open and honest and talk and communicate about those those stresses and those issues. We shouldn't feel guilty for, you know, wanting time to ourselves and and being able to recharge our batteries. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But at the same time, we also want to find joy like you said in those parenting moments. And if we're not open and honest about our feelings uh, when we need recharged, then it's going to turn into something very bad. Oh, yeah. And it's it's so subtle, isn't it? Because, you know, you're you're so in love with their mother. I don't <laughs> like. I, I love you to death. It's just your kids bug me. But um, but it's not even like it, it doesn't even have to be according to your research that we have a stre- like that we don't like the child. It's just another role. It's an it's an additional role with expectations that we have to kind of please. Exactly. Yeah. And we don't. Even though I don't think we even know what those expectations are. Like yeah. If, as a step parent, you know, there aren't really good rules for how we parent like there are with our own children, right? Like mm-hmm. with our own kids, I think we know pretty much like what the role is as a mom or a dad. We're supposed to be emotionally there. We're supposed to take care of their their physical needs and their emotional needs. And obviously, you know, everything else that they might need. But as a step parent, what am I what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to be emotionally available? Right. Like, am I supposed to go to the sporting event or yeah. the play or whatever? Am I supposed to discipline so, this child that's not mine? I hear that all the time. Exactly. Exactly. And that's that's a huge challenge. Yeah, which is again goes back to why we need to talk about it. Let's take a break. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Kevin Schaefer here from Brigham Young University who just published a recent article with Princeton University talking about your roles and how your roles as a parent might be creating some of that depression that you're you're feeling as a parent, especially in those step parenting relationships. We'll take a break, come back, more ideas, more tools, more interesting insight about life. We're trying to give you the, the good in life as well as, uh, you know, some real tools to, to make it through. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, when you coming home, Dad? 
I don't know. I'm really depressed because of my multiple roles as a parent. That's the latest research, folks. If you have multiple uh, roles at home, and, and you're a parent, but you have you're no, you're a mother, you're a stepmom, you have your your children, uh, you have some children living with you, some children living with your your ex spouse. All of these different roles that you might be taking on, they might be the source of some of your depression. In fact, the research, according to our next guest, Kevin Schaefer, states that uh, it dramatically increases chances for depression. Dr. Kevin Schaefer, again, is from Brigham Young University. He's an assistant professor of social work here at BYU, and he uh, published this study with some authors from Princeton University. Kevin, welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. Thanks. I love uh, the fact that we're we're starting to get in on this the idea of roles. I, I've always found that role you know, the roles you play it's an interesting way to look at your life because you, you don't you're not just a parent. You play multiple roles as a parent. You're a provider. You're uh, you're a car chauffeur. <laughs> you're different <laughs> things. And uh, now your research is validating that that does increase stress, especially in step parents. Exactly right. It's um, what are we supposed to do about this information? I mean, if I'm a step parent and I've fallen in love with just the most incredible person in the world and I love her children, um, how should I go about stepping into the relationship and try to, I guess, minimize, mitigate some of these potential problems? Uh, I would say gingerly. Um, <laughs> very, so... very carefully. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I think what that what that really means, though, is uh, that it requires um, a lot of of discussion and open communication. I think one of the things that um, people often do, and one of the mistakes they often make, is rushing into things or mm-hmm. expecting like this relationship's going to be really, really good. Yeah. And I, I mean, I like the kids. The kids seem to like me. So love will carry it. Pro- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a really romantic notion, but it doesn't really work out that way. You know, um, yeah. well, I'm, I'm married and, and there are things that I know that I do that really annoy my wife yeah. and vice versa. Um, and then you add kids to that mix and it just becomes, it could become toxic. It's, it's true. And when you think, add the complexity that if you have exes, I mean, there's a reason you divorce the ex, right? right? I mean, there's yeah. reasons there and there were situations and issues and those don't go away either. So, I mean, it really is slow and steady might be the, the real deciding factor also. And then over communicating, we really need to talk. I, yes, I totally agree with that. And I think... You know, I I think going and and actually talking to a professional yep. um, is is really really valuable. I think that we need to sometimes get over the stigma associated with that, and just say, you know, this is new for for everyone involved, and we don't know exactly how this is going to go. And having a professional be able to facilitate that discussion, yeah, I think is is really really valuable. Especially, and if they've worked with other step families, they might have a lot of ideas that you've never thought of. Just exactly, simple right. ideas yeah. that could eliminate some of this as well. Exactly. And I think, you know, um, it, I, I've always said that a therapist is cheaper than a lawyer. Oh, and for so, sure. Uh, <laughs> for might sure. As well, might as well do that part first. That's so. exactly right. What about, and then coping skills. I mean, too, I guess some sometimes some people might be more prone to depression anyway. But if you know you're prone to depression and you're blending families with multiple roles, 
you probably need to have a pretty good uh, you know group of skills just to cope with your emotion. Exactly, and I and I think um, being very um, open about that up front say like look i i'm a depression sufferer or i suffer from anxiety and there's going to be times where i might be triggered and you know here are some coping mechanisms that i found work for me mm-hmm. and thinking about how those might work within a family context because there's going to be times where someone could be triggered and you know they're they're maybe their coping mechanism is i just go upstairs and go by myself for 10 minutes right well if you have a two-year-old, that's not really a great coping mechanism. Yeah, you got to stay uh, with the kid, right? Because <laughs> they could destroy a house in ten minutes, right? Uh, and so, um, but let's think about other ways to to do it and practice um, a good, good in the moment sort of mindfulness sort of behaviors. I think um, would be good. And I think you know, again, going to a professional or talking that through with your new um, your new spouse, I think, is valuable. Like, what are things that we could could do together that might help me through this situation. And maybe solidifying what your roles are and what they Mm -hmm. aren't. Like, you don't necessarily need to be this for my children. Let me be that. Let their their father be that. Mm -hmm. But I do need you to be this. I mean, maybe the more we clarify the role, maybe it, it will lighten the load of the role. Exactly. And I think bringing the kids in on that conversation is very, very important. Um, if the kids are at an age where they can communicate their wants and their needs from the parent, I think um, that's really invaluable because you can always say, look, we had this conversation. This is what you told me that you wanted from me, mm-hmm. and this is the role I'm trying to fulfill. And I think that's, um, I think that could actually prevent a lot of problems oh. down the road. I mean, for sure. And again, we always kind of think that, yeah, well, let's not talk to the kids about it, but the kids are probably the reason you're so stressed. I mean, it's these kids are causing and creating issues. So bring them in and let's get some of this out. Exactly. So um, some recent research showed that three out of every four um, marriages that had kids coming into the marriage uh, failed. Yeah. So I think that the data definitely supports what you're saying that parenting um, is stressful. and, And when we have this, like from the start, that can be very, very stressful. Mm. Did um, what? What's your next study going to be? Are you doing? What's the next iteration? So one of the things that uh, I'm working on with some students here um, in social work at BYU is looking at specifically how depression impacts um, parenting. So how do people who are depressed, how do they parent their kids maybe differently than people who aren't depressed? Oh, yeah. And particularly looking at fathers, um, because we don't know actually a lot about the the link between depression and fathering behavior. So that's one of the things we're working on here. Is there any sign that uh, we know that women have a postpartum depression many times, um, which which makes sense because just the chemical impact of having a baby. Do men have a postpartum depression? Yeah, there's actually some evidence that they do have um, a little bit of a response um, after the birth of a child. And and a lot of it's related just to, um, you know, like when people talk about getting married, they're like, well, I loved her just as much as I as I did, you know, getting married as I did the day before. It wasn't that big of a deal. But but when a baby comes, that's like a life changing event. (laughs) Totally. Instantaneous. Yeah. And um, and so there actually is a lot of evidence that men experience the same the same thing as women do. Well, and it's some of that interestingly is probably tied to the role because when I was 
when I when we had our first child, it blew my mind. <laughs> like, because this wasn't just my cute little honey, my little sugar babe. This was now like Madonna. This was the mother that brought <laughs> life to this earth, and it yeah. it literally freaked me out. I was thinking, wow, I'm never touching her again because she's <laughs> she's amazing, and yeah. um, and then. Then there's and my doctor always said, yeah, four to six weeks before, you know, you can have intimacy again. And my wife heard that as 46 weeks. <laughs> and so then I had to spend like the next six months trying to convince her. Hey, but, yeah. but in the end, it's so um, there's something so powerful when we when we have these children that shift us. I also remember I had to get into game mode. I had to start providing for these children. And I was, you know, now I'm a dad. Now this child's not going to eat if I don't get out there and work. And that changed my role. So the roles, I love the roles focus. And we are for sure going to have you back, Kevin. Uh, Anytime you have any new research, let us know because uh, people need to know this. And if you're out there in listener land and you're a step parent, what would you say to them, Kevin? Just what do you say to the average step parent who already kind of knows the numbers, 75 percent? of these blended families are not going to work out, what advice do you give them? So um, the advice I give them is there are some very common mistakes that we know that remarried couples and step families make, and don't make those mistakes. Don't try to rush things. It's going to take some time for everybody to get used to each other. Don't um, try to force kids into a, a role that they don't want to take on. Um, and don't try to force yourself into a role that you don't want to take on. Right. And I think those three things um, are are valuable. And those are mistakes that people make all the time. Oh, yeah. And so relationships take time, right? I mean, you can't force it just because you married it. It's, it ta- it's a conversion of relating. Yeah, exactly. So I think there was there's a study out there um, that showed that it takes about six years for everybody to be sort of okay with each other hmm. and to consider themselves a family. So six you know, years, six years. Yeah. So um, that's a long time. Yeah. Uh, in a in a in terms of a relationship, but um, you know I think patience is really a key. It's not going to be. Uh, a fantasy or a dream just overnight. That's it's right. Gonna take time. Yeah, you're running a marathon. Exactly. <laughs> running a marathon. This isn't a 5K, folks. This exactly. is a marathon. It's not a sprint. That's right. Well, Kevin, we appreciate you and keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You bet. We're going to continue to bring Kevin on, pick his brain. You know, it's fun to be on BYU campus because you can just grab these professors in. Get some insight onto what's going on in the news. That's one of the goals of this show. We're uh, also, we've got another great guest coming in, Kristen Matthews, also on faculty here at BYU. She's going to be talking to us about this Harper Lee book that's coming out. You've all heard it. You know, you've read To Kill a Mockingbird. Well, did you know that there was another book that was written with the same people involved? Interesting stuff. More after this break on uh, Harper Lee's new book with Kristen Matthews right here on BYU Radio. Do you think you could tell us what happened? I don't know. All of a sudden, somebody grabbed me, knocked me down on the ground. Jim found me then. Then Mr. Yule, I reckon, grabbed him again, and Jim hollered. Then somebody grabbed me. Mr. Yule, I guess. Somebody grabbed him. Then I heard someone... And coughing. There's a clip right there from uh, the book to, or the movie To Kill a Mockingbird. 
Uh, one of the big moments in the movie. And uh, Harper Lee, the author of that book, iconic, really. I think every child, my kids would say, have been forced to read <laughs> To Kill a Mockingbird. I would say you were given the great blessing to read such a great uh, a book. But some of you may have heard in the news, Harper Lee, the author of that book, she um, she has now she's written another one that was actually written at the exact same time or in the same time. Nobody knew about this other book, and um, it's called Go Set a Watchman, and um, it's creating some pretty serious controversy. So we've asked Kristen Matthews to join us. Kristen is here from Brigham Young University. She's an English professor. Is that right, Kristen? Professor of English. Yes. That's, yes. Oh, you're the ones I'm afraid of. I know. I like to strike fear in most people <laughs> I speak with. Associate Professor of English. You don't scare me. Okay. Well, I'll but, try harder. Okay. So here we sit. Everyone's making a big uh, fuss about this because Harper, Harper Lee was a, per, a very private person. Very much so. And it, kind of feisty. Well, you know, she she kind of saw herself as scout. And so she tough, just liked scout, that. Yeah. Tough feisty and very determined and, and those stories came from her childhood they, i mean some of the people some of the some of the um what would we call them characters in in that book are about her life or about her childhood yeah yeah a lot of um a, a lot of folks draw biographical yeah. connections and she started writing sketches about growing up in monroeville alabama when she was in college and later when she moved to new york though at one point she was very very uh, feisty uh-huh. in saying this is not an autobiography. Yeah. But make sure of that. Yes. Don't put that label on it. But a lot of the stories and some of the people were were characters that she drew from her life. And then nobody had ever heard of this other book, which is actually precedes the To Kill a Mockingbird book. Yes. Right? It, so, it wasn't the first book produced. No. Well, the story goes that she actually wrote this book go set a watchman first interesting and then her editor said you know maybe you could write one with scout as a young girl because go set a watchman has scout 20 years later returning back to her hometown okay. yeah and so then as the story goes that Harper Lee went back the book. Oh. and wrote to kill a mockingbird and then set this one aside well what's the controversy it seems like what a blessing Another book from Harper Lee. Well, I know most people at first were thrilled. I mean, you scroll any Facebook feed, Twitter feed, and everyone's so excited. But then more of the story came out because Harper Lee is a notoriously private person. Oh, yeah. And for years, um, her sister, who was older than her and an attorney, and she called her Atticus in skirts, (laughs) um, she protected Harper Lee from interviews, from any sort of exploitation. And her sister died a year ago. And at a hundred and whatever. At a hundred four. I know. You so want to talk being ab- protected by a hundred and four year old attorney. You want to talk about feisty? <laughs> but um, so so Harper Lee in two thousand seven had a stroke, and after that stroke, uh, she was left ninety five percent blind, profoundly deaf, yeah. and many say that at eighty eight she is suffering from dementia in a nursing home, and so the question comes: Can this person really give her consent? 
Right. To have this book published, a person who's been notoriously private and kept it back her whole life, is she all of a sudden now is now willing. she's releasing it. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's the fishy side, right? It's raised some eyebrows and some questions. Um, it's you know, and and again, then the other people are like, "Oh no, I know her well. She's fantastic. She says go for it." But you know, then quotes from her attorney in her behalf. Right, but the attorney. But the other interesting thing is, everybody in Monroeville, they've a lot of people have been making money on this book. Yes, and that's causing some other controversy. I mean, they, they, there was a lawsuit where she was selling or shutting down people that were selling, you know, paraphernalia. This is the To Kill a Mockingbird Journal. This is the To Kill a Mockingbird whatever sweatshirt. Yeah, and so there have been um, as Harper's gotten older, some. People could say people capitalizing yeah. upon her aging and her sister's aging, though the lawsuits were brought forward by her current attorney. Uh-huh. And some have said that that's further evidence that this attorney is kind of getting out there because Harper Lee herself never wanted to make a public fuss. Right. And so her sister would work sort of in the background yeah. to do these things She's instead the, of making a big the show. heavy hand. What, what does this mean to us in literature? Um, so let's everything else aside. Let's. What is it? I mean, this is a big finding. It is, and Have, I. Do think, you know anything about the book? No, nothing's been released thus far. Huh. Um, last week's announcement was the first most anybody heard of it. Wow! And so uh, those of us who are scholars are kind of we're we're waiting with bated breath to see what it will be yeah. and what it will look like and. We don't know what shape it will be in. It's a found manuscript. Um, obviously, right now, Harper Lee can't go through the regular editorial process yeah, right. with the press. So it might just be one of those found published as is, which happens with a lot of authors. But generally, it's after they've died right. that we get this kind of work. Um, there, there, there's controversy, I guess, always been attached to the To Kill a Mockingbird. Yes. Talk, just talk about that. And it seems like just the release time with the content – is is really adding probably a lot of fervor or a lot of anxiety to this whole thing. Yeah, well, To Kill a Mockingbird, um, it's been a bestseller. And like you said with your kids, it yeah. is the top book that high schoolers read. They read it Period. more than anything else. Yeah. And it's published 30 million copies. It's 40 languages. Wow. So it, it, the Book of the Month Club chose it as a selection. So it's been read widely. Yeah. But from the start, there's been controversy because it dealt with really difficult issues like racism, poverty, sexism, uh, sexual violence. Yeah. Um, and so some folks were opposed to it because of that and didn't feel that that was appropriate. Yeah. So this was one of the books that we, they were always taking out. Everyone was starting mm-hmm. to you know, censor and get rid of the book. That caused other problems. Yes, yes. So we have that issue. And then um, on the other hand, there are some who it came out in 1960 as the civil rights movement is really moving forward. And some folks found it problematic in its depiction of African-Americans, mm. that they were depicted as flat characters, kind of caricatures, and that it required a great white savior like yep. Atticus Finch to come, to come in. in and save the day. Yeah. So um, but at the same time, it's uh, according to the Library of Congress, it's the number two book after the Bible to make a great change. Yeah. And so that's amazing. Yeah. If you think about it. So if you think of all the books. It's the number two. Correct. 
Cool. So it did get people talking about this, and it did um, kind of ease those who normally wouldn't have talked about civil rights into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Do you? I mean, as a as a scholar, as an expert, um, like, are you excited to read it? Uh, Where where's your head? I mean, it, because too, it's it's going to be more of the same. I'm assuming genre. I mean, same tone. Same tenor. It may or may not be, because if you remember, Scout was narrating it as a child. That's right. Though some critics felt like she was a very precocious child, Mm -hmm. so she kind of narrated like an adult. But so we expect some more of the same insofar as the tone and some of the issues raised. But at the same time, we just don't know. And for scholars, you always want a little bit more, yeah. right? It's yeah. sort of like Lay's potato chips. You can't just eat one. <laughs> like right. if you put the bag of Harper Lee stuff. Them in. But, w- but at the same time, um, the story about its release has sort of tempered yeah. our enthusiasm mm-hmm. a little bit. I, w- I was joking with someone earlier that, yes, I'm going to read it, but I'll probably check it out of a library so that I don't yeah, <laughs> so You're not making anybody money. money. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Atta girl. That's, but see, we've been talking about that on the show all day, that sometimes the money taints it mm-hmm. and this story is I mean they're getting more and more press because of just this other angle on the book release. Right, uh, controversy is you know there's egg on their face, but controversy sells. You know it just does. A ton of books. What would you recommend as an English scholar? What should we be reading uh, that might help us better with understanding race relations, sexism? What are some of the other classics out there that you like? Oh, I mean, throw, that's a major curveball. Well, you know, I'm teaching a class right now on dissent in American Lit, and so it's dealing with a lot of these issues. And what I tell my students is that one book alone doesn't represent an issue. So if you read just, for example, another of my favorite, Lorraine Hansberry's A Raisin in the Sun, right, that play, if you read just that, you won't know everything about you know, the struggles of race and poverty, right? right? So you need to add to that because there are lots of different voices from the civil rights movement coming at it from all different angles, from very conservative to very radical positions. And so I just encourage students to pick up a book and then see what else is recommended. So, you know, by the way, it's the second time on the show today we've had the the challenge to read broadly, to go Mm -hmm. broadly. Not just reading, but in our media choices, don't just take a source. Take right. multiple sources. Right, because um, it's very easy to get led down a very narrow path if you limit your information to one source. Right. Because as you know, we teach our students, um, everyone has a bias and everyone has a position, whether it's recognized or not. And so it's important to get a chorus of yeah. voices so that you can better understand a moment, a text, an issue. Beautiful. Well, Kristen, we appreciate you running in here. Oh, well, thanks. Just to enlighten us. I mean, that's great insight. Great insight. And uh, are you writing anything? Are you an author? Are you going to th- throw something out there? You know, I don't do fiction. So I know, I know, I know. That's all right. That's okay. I do try to write non-ironic, non-humorous limericks, though. Do you? Just to kind of throw a curveball. Yes. Where can we get those? (laughs) (laughs) We'll have you come on and perform some of those. (laughs) Okay. A little limerick fest we'll have. We'll do that in March. Okay. The month of the limerick. Uh, Appreciate you coming on, Kristen. Seriously, great insight. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good stuff, uh, folks. Again, read broadly. 
That's such a great advice. It's not about the one book, right? It's about the perspective that many, many books, many articles, many different things that we can study to broaden our minds. We're going to take a break, come back. uh, You know, we've got one more hour, three-hour morning show right here on the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Hour number two of the, what we call the journey to Narnia. What are we calling this show? Well, we do have a wardrobe over in the corner. Yeah, we do. We have your Ethel uh, Merman yeah, dress in there. Yeah, we just sneak through there. <laughs> It's not Ethel Merman, you guys. It's a little vibrato. Okay, so it's so can it's a, a Dorothy guy, dress. Can a guy not come out with a little vibrato <laughs> without everyone's like, oh, that sounds like Ethel Merman? Mm, Maybe not. No, because it sounds like <laughs> Ethel Merman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it totally does. Hey, um, you know, immunization. We've covered it. I think so. But I didn't ask. What? Because I go, I go get like the flu shot. Mm-hmm. And I always get sick. So I'm just de- I've decided I'm not doing that. That the one time I got the flu shot, I got the flu. I know. Which I know that's it's part of the game. And I tell that to my doctor every year because uh, I he wants me to get a flu shot every year, but I I tell that to him and Yeah. He kind of rolls his eyes a little bit and 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 he, he yeah. just goes with it though. Does he See mine says you're a wuss. <laughs> which I'm like that's rude. It's a good doctor. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. he, you know he's got a really bad bedside manner. <laughs> yeah. He's mm-hmm. seriously offensive. Hey, did you guys hear the news? We're going to do some news here. Some news? Some news. I heard it. Uh, Magna Carta was found. I mean, one of the 26 copies of the Magna Carta Wow, was there, were, found. there was only 26 copies? Maybe? Hey, Larry, where'd you put the Magna Carta? <laughs> I think it's on the table. They lost the Magna Carta. I folded it up, put it in the book on the shelf over there. <laughs> That's exactly what they did. Just days after four Magna Cartas were united for the first time in 800 years at the British Library in London. I'm, I'm sure they, they were concerned that they were ununited before. Yeah, they were. They're like a family. Well, you can't. You're not a Magna unless you're together. Yeah, it's you're the not Carta a Magna family. Carta. But is it Magna Carta? Cartam. Or, or is it Magna Cartel now with many okay, of them Sean, being together? <laughs> focus, Sean. Shame, shame. This uh, they, they, this guy was rummaging through a scrapbook in the council archives, by the way, of Sandwich, England. Okay. Great place. Great Earl, place. Oh. Earl. Uh-huh. Earl. Have, you, have you tried their sandwiches? Uh, yes. Oh, wow. That's the place where sandwiches were invented. That's what I'm saying. Apparently. Incredible. So the guy's rummaging through the scrapbook of the council archives. Guess what he found? A Magna Carta. A tattered page. That thought that looked a lot like the Magna Carta. He really wasn't sure because it's, I wouldn't even know what a, what the Magna Carta looks. I, I mean, I yeah. We know what our you know our yeah the if, Declaration if it of was Independence. The Declaration looks, of Independence yes. and a page of that. You but would probably be a big book if you found the Declaration of Independence in a book. Yeah, it'd be a huge book. <laughs> I, uh, I don't this, know. This was interesting though. He could be folded up. He found it. Oh. They think a it's worth a lot of money. True, but. 
nobody knew this version existed. And apparently it is had it been different. It had been placed in, back there like um, in about the 1800s, 1900s, early 1900s. Hmm. And anyway, the you know, the Magna Carta is basically where the king was forced, coerced. King Edward was coerced to give, to give rights to the public. Yeah. That the king doesn't possess all of the rights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, it's a pretty big finding. I mean, isn't that cool? That's yep. way cool. Like, you know, if all of a sudden. I mean, like, it's a very oh. important historical document. Yeah. Huge. There's about 23 of them left or around. Pretty neat. That's a, I would well, I'm surprised there's that many still left. By the way, so everybody go check your scrapbooks. Oh yeah, uh, you don't know. I'm what sure they're around here. Yeah. You do not know what you've got in there. Being it's an English document. Did mm-hmm. you hear the news? Uh, some really good news too from Comcast. What? Uh, Comcast says they are now working harder to make changes so that employees from Comcast or any of the vendors that work for Comcast are not allowed to change your name. And they on, can't insult you anymore. And they can't insult you anymore. Yeah. Because, you know, if you have a really bad time on the phone with somebody and they don't like you, they would just change your name on your bill to some derogatory term. Really? Yeah, like very, very derogatory. Ones that we don't want to say on the air. We can't even say them on the air. Wow. Yeah. But like one of them was Dummy. So Dummy Townsend. But that was the kindest, gentlest. You got to stop calling him that, James. Now he knows. Yeah, oh, well, I no. heard. I heard you've been calling me that. James. Well, I changed it on all your bills. So, uh, the, the, but by the way, this is what this is what we all can relax about. Um, you know, Comcast is on it. Okay, and they are going to make. Uh, they are going to improve I, their their record. I actually saw a news story with the one of the with one of these customers that was affected. It was a lady, and um, it, it was a very derogatory term mm-hmm. on her bill, and it said super, yeah, blank, blankety yeah. blank, and last blank. name. Uh, but she she wouldn't even open the bill. Hmm. Well, she it said, wasn't not until they, to her. Not until they send me another bill with my correct name on it will I open this. Yeah, technically it's I, a federal I agree, offense. I agreed with her the whole yeah. time. But then, I mean, you still want your cable. It, well, yeah, but the thing is she had had problems with her cable for like months before that. Really? Yeah. And then her bill stopped coming, and so she kept calling. And she was calling asking them, how can I pay you? Yeah, and yet, and then she still gets a derogatory name put on her bill. I mean, geez. Uh, according to Comcast, each and every customer deserves to be treated with respect. We fell short I'm, of that. I'm glad they found that out. Yeah, it's kind of. Can you imagine just being in the communications department at Comcast? And like, it's a communications calling, company, isn't that the yeah. whole? De- isn't that all of Comcast? Well, well, you would think the one that has to actually do the PR, and they're like, "Oh, really? Oh, you mean like customer service? This is going to be all over the news." Uh, yeah. That is horrible. If I would have gotten something from them, which I wouldn't have because I'm not a customer, I would have I would have called the news people. But oh, I, yeah, if totally. I refer you, you could become a customer. Uh, go right Sign ahead. up under me. No. Anyway. Come on, Sean. It's a great opportunity. Hey, uh, you've heard, too, that robots are taking over, right? Oh, that we knew. Uh, Just ask Bill Gates. Yeah. But remember, he's afraid of it. Like, yep. be careful. Artificial, artificial intelligence. intelligence. I don't know that I'd worry about, like, the really nice artificial intelligence stuff. I mean, that's probably not going to kill you. What's the really nice stuff? Like, I mean, like, there's these the, – the robots that are putting cars together, the robots oh, okay. that are healing mm-hmm. people. Furbies. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Furbies. Well, none of them are autonomous yet. Well, what you need to worry about, though, apparently are those little robot vacuum cleaners that run around the house. Oh, yes. Yep. The ones that cats ride on yeah. in videos on YouTube. Yep. I've never seen that. 
You have to watch it after yeah. the show. It's I'm not great. big into cat videos. Well, you should watch this. It'll change your life. Yes. Well, this might be more exciting. So a woman was sleeping on the floor of her apartment, and she she was awoken in pain by a robotic vacuum cleaner that was attempting to suck her hair up. Oh, no. <laughs> and the robot vacuum cleaner attacked this poor South Korean woman while Ouch. she slept. And literally, it doesn't now, stop. Wait a minute. Until no, wait a minute. <laughs> it just sucked her head right in it. Uh, no, it didn't. No, it did. It it's not like that she, big. No, she was like, it looked like she was wearing a vacuum ball cap. <laughs> and it took the paramedics came, a uh, 52 year old woman uh, in of Changwon, uh, South Korea. How big was? Her? How long was her hair? It didn't seem well before or after. I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> before it was really long. Yeah, that's what after, I'm thinking. Not so long. But okay. The it's next true. question, how the heck did she end up on the floor? Asleep? Well, that's, you know, that's what she's trying to explain to the family. Right. I think she actually I think she just sleeps on the floor. Hey, I do that too. You know, just when you have to lay down and just yeah. go to sleep. Well, no, you actually fall out of bed. Mm-hmm. Well, that too, but uh Have you have you put that railing up now so you don't fall out of bed? Um no, I haven't set it up yet. Yeah, cuz I found once my kid got that railing, he was he never fell out of bed again. Well, Michaela McConkie, whatever, is going to have to help him with that. I think. Maybe she should sleep on the inside. She's going to have to know about all of this. He can sleep before. against the we'll wall. Put the, yeah, we'll put the bed up against the have wall. Have you informed her of this? Not yet. Okay. I think it's going to be one of those. Big Maybe things. she's listening. Yeah. Two paramedics. Uh, it took about 40 minutes or so to remove the machine from her head. Jeez. Ouch. Yeah. They didn't just cut the hair? Well, she was unable to free herself from the vacuum and made a desperate request to 911. And they showed up, and then, you know, they didn't want to cut her hair. That's just, that's that's some serious work. I'm sorry. So, so, that's only, I, there's no other way you're going to get that out, I don't yeah. think. Well, it's kind of like, I, I'm, I saw a, an episode of Dirty Jobs where they were rappelling down a building for window washing. Yeah. One of the cameramen had extra long hair, and his hair got cut. Oh, caught oh in, the, in, the, in the pulley or whatever. Yeah. Oh. And, Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. That's not it good. It was – it's the only way you can get it out is to cut it. But, I mean, maybe the rule just is very simple, again, as we try to give you solutions. If you have a robot cleaner – Don't sleep on the floor. Get in bed. Yeah. <laughs> Stay in bed. Or wear a helmet to bed. Or turn it off. There you go. So that's why we're the Matt Townsend Show. Solutions for life. Solutions for life. Solutions to help you keep your hair. That's why I don't worry too much about AI because isn't there – I mean – there is a plug. There well, is see, an energy you source. You, that, that's true until AI develops a plugless robot. Mm-hmm. It's still got a battery or something. A it's still got to operate with electricity somehow. They're yeah. going to have a backup battery that you don't know about. Mm-hmm. Solar? Yep. Oh, okay. Hey, uh, you know, robots are one thing, but the hardest thing for a lot of us is just relating to people. And so I've asked, mainly you two, um, I've asked. To help you with your relationship problems? Yes, I've a- we, we will. I've asked we will. an e- expert we, to we come had, we help had, us. Yeah, we, help we called you. her. We called her. You, you so called you could her. talk to her. She's going to be here today to yeah. help us talk. She's and, on the phone right now, actually. And, and she's hearing us. Well, good, because she's going to help us learn how to reconnect. And more, more so, even the actual physiology of connection. Yeah. What's going on in your body that helps you to connect? Good stuff. Dr. Amy Banks will be joining us after this break. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, uh, we're talking about your ability to connect, your ability to click with other people. What if we told you we could rewire your brain for stronger, more rewarding relationships? Some of you would say, can I bring my husband in? Let's get that guy rewired. That's so rude. Amy Banks is joining us. Uh, She is a medical doctor and is the director of the advanced training at the Gene Baker Miller Training Institute at uh, Wellesley Centers for Women. She formerly worked at Harvard Medical School and has a private practice which specializes in relational psychopharmacology and therapy for people who suffer from chronic disconnection. Her new book, Four Ways to Click, Rewire Your Brain for Stronger, More Rewarding Relationships, explores the essential ingredients for close relationships. We're so excited to have her. Amy, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks so much for having me, though I I must say I'm going to be stuck with this image of the robot in the hair. I know. Did you hear that? That was tough. Keep your hat on. you got to wear a helmet when you go to bed, Amy. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, it could be worse, right? Not only are you disconnected, but you also have a bad hair day. You're too connected to your your robot. (laughs) To your robot. That's right. so true. Hey, I love this book, as and I'm a connoisseur of like relationship books. I think I've seen them all, and I can hardly wait to dig in deep to this Good. one. Tell me, Good. I mean, you, you, t- I've never heard of a psychopharmacology kind of expert, a relational psychopharmacology expert. Explain that. Well, so <laughs> yeah, that takes a little explaining, doesn't it? Yeah, but it makes um, sense it, to me. It isn't. You know, well. So you think about all the ways that people can get dysregulated and all the kind of ways that, um, you know, different anxiety disorders, depression. I mean, you think about all of those things. They actually uh, cause disconnection. They cause disruptions in the relationship. And so one of the ways to really think about, um, you know, when you're going to use medication is really the point of it, right, is is to get people back into relationships in a healthy, comfortable, safe way because that's actually the way... Your physiology works best. Sure, you're healthiest, right? Is it? Is it? It's so true. I, I mean, I've, I've actually never thought of it. Uh, but anxiety makes us maybe fight with each other, pull away from each other. Depression might have us avoid each other. Yeah. Uh, attention deficit might have us never actually present with each other. You got it exactly. All, all different forms of disconnecting, and yet we sit here. And we just think our partner doesn't love us when really they may have a chemical issue. That's that's what your body then reads from the other people. And one of you know one of the the most important points of the book is that when you're reading that from somebody else, right? Even if it's not an accurate read, right? right? Right. So you could be saying, "Oh, my husband or my my girlfriend has ADD, and that's why she's not really able to focus on me when I'm talking," right? Yeah. Um, you could say that. At which point you're sort of sense of yourself as uh, as lovable doesn't take a hit. Mm-hmm. But usually that doesn't happen, no. right? Usually you're thinking, okay, this is the message I'm getting. And in fact, what that does is it wires you for more and more stress in relationships. Oh, it's so true. Or just being raised by a parent who has chemical issues. Yes. And then you are raised in a way where you're not attaching in, you're not yep. feeling connection. And then that carries with it, I guess, kind of the, the psychotherapeutic side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things that people, you know, ask most, most often is, okay, if I was raised this way, am I, you know, am yeah. I uh, destined to then kind of repeat exactly those relationships? And, um, you, you know, I think 
maybe 30, 40 years ago, people would say, well, yes, unless you, you know, sit on the couch, couch in psychoanalysis five days a week right. for, right. you know, a bazillion dollars. And I, and I think what neuroscience is telling us is if you, if you have sort of the, uh, the, the keys to the kingdom, if you will, you can do it a little more quickly than that. Oh, and thank heavens. Thank I mean, heavens, exactly. Like we've yeah. been talking about vaccinations all day. What, what benefit is all of this science if it's not improving us? Right. That's right. And so yet you sit here as a researcher, MD. I mean, that, that's what I love about this. How many times have we, we have people on that come and talk about maybe, you know, the pharmacology side, and yet you've been, you're in deep in it. And mm-hmm. it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to, like you are in your profession, seeing it every single day. That's right. Let's get that's into right. the book. Uh, Four Ways right. to Click is the name of the book. Um, I know in, in the book you talk about boundaries and oh, and how they're overrated. Yeah. Which th- a lot of therapists, you know, they don't say that. Yeah. Talk That's about right. that. No, in fact, they say just the opposite, right? Right. They they really focus on the boundaries. That in fact, what what most people's problems are in relationships is that they don't have strong enough boundaries. And um, you know, the way that I tie it in the book, and I think this is really important, is that. When you get the relational message, right, that your task as you uh, develop into a mature human being is to get more and more and more strong on your own. Right. Right. You sort of use those relationships in the early years, kind of, and then as you get into your adult life, you should, you should be not as attached and uh, not as impacted by other people's feelings and thoughts and behaviors, right? You can stand on your own. You bet. And I think that is a huge, huge myth. And what the neuroscience is saying is that, you know, in the background 24-7, we are interacting with others in very specific ways that I get into, and certainly happy to get into it with you today, Matt. But yeah. You know, that, that this is going on. And so this notion of a clear boundary, a wall, is just a myth. Yeah, it is, and isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and then it sets us up, right? Because um, because then when we can't maintain that boundary, because nobody can. Right, no. Then we feel like we feel a failure. about ourselves That's right. again. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you really begin to think about sort of that boundary between people as really more of an interface yeah. and something that's quite porous... Then you start thinking about, okay, what are the skills that are necessary to navigate that yeah. space, right, so that you get a healthy relationship rather than, you know, something that's quite imbalanced. I love that. I, I see it always, instead of like a wall, you, like like you're saying, I just say it's the space between us. Yeah. And some of yeah. us are more effective in that space than others yep. for a variety of reasons. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and yet it's a, it's a tool. That. So non-pathologizing, exactly. right? And so much of how we face mental health issues and, and even emotional development uh, issues tend to be very shaming. Yeah, right? exactly. We've got to we've got to focus on the sick, the sickness, yes. the broke, yes. and the broken. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, and like again, we know just in mirroring effects. I know it's a major thing that you talk about as well. We're wired to. Yeah. We're wired to relate to others, to to mirror them, to recognize them. That's right. That's right. And and in fact, you know what the the work with the mirror neuron system is telling us is that that you know over time in our relationships we we literally build these um, vast networks of people reading spaces in our brain, right? Right. Um, and you know the key is how do you do that accurately? Because 
again, it's happening 24-7, behind the scenes, not consciously. Your internal world is literally mimicking the other person's, right? So true. Um, so that, you know, allowing you to know them in this very deep, intuitive way. Um, but we also know, right, that, that you can have that mirroring effect, but if somebody puts the wrong label on it, right, Yeah. yeah. then you're sunk, well, I mean that's true. So I so I, I'm a, if I'm a child and my mother brings anxiety mm-hmm. into this relationship, I'm going to mirror the yeah. anxiety. That's right. And not even know what it is. Not even know what it is. But right. be but be feeling it, be impacted by it, and then I guess need to deal with it. That's right. That's right. And then you may grow. You know, you can grow up into maybe an anxious person. Those mm-hmm. pathways have been so sort of, you know stimulated over yeah. and over and over again and you may not even I mean I literally do see people in my office who come in and will absolutely lay out the symptoms of anxiety chronic worry chronic, chronic stress and don't know they have it I mean I know. And, know and yet it's it's so diagnosable it's so it's yeah. it's so right that oh, I I have people that know they have it but they've yeah. never dealt with they don't want to deal with it yeah, they don't want to deal with it. But like you're saying, it's still impacting everyone else because everyone else can still mirror it. That's right. They can feel it. Well, see, got it. This is what I love about because, I mean, I've studied human development for yeah. 25 years, and yeah. I've had to piece a lot of this stuff together. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you've kind of tied it all in this nice little neat yeah. book is it's so helpful and it's something that just I think because you know the therapist goes and learns their their psychotherapeutic methods and the MDs learn the pharmacological methods and then the the energy workers work with the energy everybody's got their own little angle but to have it all come together it's it is there there it is the power to click yeah 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 well you know I'm so glad to hear you say that because that's exactly my point in getting this book the way it was written really was for you know, it, it, it's for anybody, yeah. right? It's not, it's not for the therapist no. necessarily, although the therapist might pick it up and use it. But it really is for anybody because everybody is in relationships, right? And, mm-hmm. it, and it is the idea was, okay, let's break this down into something that's manageable and then workable. Yeah. Well, and, and again, and, and approachable that we can all just actually read. Absolutely. We're right. talking with Dr. Amy Banks. Uh, she's a medical doctor that is teaching us about the re- relational neuroscience, how your body, your chemistry, and, and everything about you is about relating. It's about creating. And where the relationship actually exists isn't always out there with other people. A lot of times the relationship is being created inside of you. We're going to come back and continue to talk about that as well. Great stuff. Again, uh, Four Ways to Click is, is the name of her book. We'll be back. More with Amy Banks right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. This song going out to McClintock, James Birdsall's future wife, mother of his children. He's giving all of himself to you, McClintock. Love you. Thank you. 
Love you too, James. Oh, were you talking to her? No, I was talking to her. Sorry. Okay, that was awkward. Well, yeah. <laughs> I thought you were talking to me because you were looking at me when you said it. <laughs> well, so I thought. But I felt. I mean, anyway, it's, it's because I couldn't whatever. look at her. So, so I felt good. I okay, felt you good. two can have a connection later. All right. <laughs> By the way, we just demonstrated one of the ways to click. Um, a great author, uh, Amy, Dr. Amy Banks, is joining us. She's the author of the book Four Ways to Click: Rewire Your Brain for Stronger, More Rewarding Relationships. Again, um, I love relationships, and um, not because I'm great at them, just so you know. Just ask anybody. <laughs> Actually, don't. Never mind. Uh, but I love her research, and she's Amy in this book has taken some of the most, I think, basic, incredible things to know about being a human being. And I don't ever get this excited. I ought to just say that to Amy. I don't ever get this excited about every author that comes on. Um but this is real, folks. Your body is wired to connect to other people, and your your body is wired to read and understand other people, and we need to learn how it's wired because if you don't, you're going to get behind in your ability to collect or to click and connect with other people. So, Amy Banks, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Great. Seriously, it's such a big deal, and I see it more and more in my own practice that you, if you can't connect in a day of information, uh, in the information age, you're in trouble. Yeah. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's the great, I mean, relationships are your only advantage in an information age. That's right. That, no, I think that's absolutely true. And, you know, there's this, of course, the debate about, you know, is the technology bringing us further apart or yeah. not or in all of that. And, you know, I, I mean, I think you need to have... You need to have those pathways for connection that I talk about, the four pathways for connection, to be really robust. Yeah. And that takes practice. That takes stimulation. That's what we know about um, neuroplasticity or brain change. That takes stimulation. And so you do have to have the, uh, you know, the interpersonal interactions on a day-to-day basis. And fortunately, most people have those. Yeah. yeah but you have to practice have to it. complicated. You have right. to practice it enough that, to get the neuroplasticity to kind of make it permanent. That's right. That's right. But it, your brain it, will do it, it naturally, it. right? If you just keep doing it, if you just yeah. keep connecting in a certain way, in a healthy way, That's right. you do that enough, your brain will just make that kind of the standard. You got it. That's right. That's exactly right. It's funny. We, you know, we used to call that habits. Now we well, call that's it exactly what it is. Yeah, habits. but it's yeah. neural. But the reality is now we know why the brain does it and how the brain does it. Exactly. Exactly. Teach us and some so more. We're talking about relational habits. Teach us more about uh, some of the some of the ways to click. What are the four ways? Well, so I break it down into four pathways. Obviously, anytime you start, you know, messing around with neuroscience, it gets a little bit in trying yeah. to simplify. It gets yeah, heady, a bunch but, of heady. Yeah. Yeah, but but I really, as I looked at the the literature and in the, the research, I thought of these things. So it it um, goes along with something called the care program and the in care stands for the four pathways. Okay. Okay. So C is, stands for a sense of calm that you can feel in a healthy relationship. And that is, um, you know, most people are schooled in the idea that we have a sympathetic and a parasympathetic nervous system that causes, you know, the fight or flight yep. and the freeze, right? And yeah. That's sort of fact. But in fact, research is showing that we have a third pathway that happens automatically called the smart vagus uh, nerve and its surrounding pathways, and, and that innervates the face, the muscles of facial expression, your eyes, your inner ears, 
And in fact, when you go into a healthy relationship, you know, what usually happens? Your eyes kind of go yeah, up. Yeah, they light up. You smile, you, you know. Yeah. And what's happening is those things are stimulated. It feeds into your stress response system and says, calm down. You're safe. Interesting. Right? So that's yeah. one fascinating part. Another one is the A is for a sense of acceptedness and the idea that we all need to be part of a group. And ultimately, it would be great if we could be part of the greater, you know, human or life yeah. community. But what, we, what research has shown is that there's an area in the brain, the dorsal anterior cingulate, that lights up or is activated when you are socially rejected. Um, and that causes real pain. It's the exact same pathway that lights up with the, the distress of physical pain or injury. Interesting. So it's actually emotional pain, you but it, it feels real like physical pain. It's real pain. That's right. And if you are being, if you're isolated, you experience both physical and emotional pain more, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. And if you're in physical pain, you actually usually feel more isolated. And then that probably kicks in your fight or flight. You got it. Exactly. And that's how these things are all kind of interwired, you right? You bet. So C, A, R is what we've talked about before, the mirror resonance system, which allows you to just read other people's, you know, feelings, attentions, actions, literally by mimicking them. Yeah. So isn't isn't that why we, we are startled when someone, so if we're watching somebody walking and they trip, we yeah. startle. And it's, I always thought I, I could never figure that in, out until I learned the mirroring neurons, and I was like, "Oh, that makes sense." Yeah, it's like we tripped too. Or when they cry, you cry. Or when, when you cry, yeah, yep. that's exactly right. That, and and I mean, and to to really understand that that's going on all the time. When you watch violence, you're either being violence or being victimized. Yeah, you're being violated. Right. It's so right. true. So, you know, the, and, and I talk about what you're feeding your nervous system. What are you feeding these pathways for connection? Oh, that's right? Yeah, because you wouldn't really want to go, this is a fine-tuned instrument. You don't want to go burn it out by, mm -hmm. you, know, uh, you know, experiencing a lot of junk and pain that's going to desensitize you. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Huh. Um, the fourth one is the, uh, it stands for energy, and it's the dopamine reward system, hmm. and uh, that is the one that people talk about a lot with addictions, right? The dopamine reward right. system is that sort of final common pathway in all addictions that keeps you doing it over and over and over again. But what most people miss is that, you know, in the beginning, it's tied to healthy relationship. And one of my biggest worries, and this is one of my major points in the book, is that when you think about it, that that dopamine, that energy, excitement, motivation that you get when you're in a healthy relationship, if those stay paired, you're protected against addictions. But when those get disconnected, oh, interesting, right? Yeah, then you're going to look for dopamine because that's our life force. That dopamine, energy, motivation. Everybody wants it, and we're going to go out. And I, I really think we have a chronic cycle in our culture, really in Western culture, that devalues relationships, says stand on your own two feet. Yeah, be strong, be independent. Be independent, which then disconnects our dopamine from oh. healthy relationship. Yeah. And then where do we, what do we do? We go to the mall. We go, yeah. you know, we Then we you go get addicted, yeah. Stimulate it, yeah. Interesting. So, and, and that's very true. We, you know, we, we, we always talk about the one and, you know, it's got to be right for you and is, mm -hmm. and yet... It really is. It's in the actual relationship that you can you could actually 
protect yourself against becoming an addict to something. That's right. You actually become addicted to the relationship in a healthy way. Yeah. I mean, it sounds weird, but yeah. As long as you know what it takes to be in a healthy relationship and what a healthy relationship feels like, right? Yeah. Then you don't have to be worried that you're being taken over or, you know merging and blurring boundaries and all that kind of stuff. If if you really know what a healthy relationship is and what it feels like to you, oh. then being connected to that is your best your best source of dopamine. Well, and then the outcomes are calmness, acceptedness, resonance, and energy. I mean, exactly. That yeah. sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? It's like every day. I mean, every I've got to be day. calm and accepted right. every. See, that's. And yet we might have learned something as a child that makes us avoid it and be yep. afraid of it. And yet yep. we're really just running from the thing we want most. Well, that's exactly it, right? When people, I mean, I think part of what's happening is people read this, and I've, I've had this experience sort of teaching this stuff over time, is there's something just primal about it, right? Yeah. It's like gives people permission finally to not, you know, to kind of be needy and interdependent. Yeah. Which is what their physiology is craving. That's right. Right? Because the interdependent is so much safer than just the independent. I mean, exactly. But you need to be independent to get there. Mm -hmm. But once you're interdependent, I mean, it's no good to be just independently alone. Right, right, right. You know, the point I always make, Matt, is that that if, if, in fact, independence was such a great thing, then solitary confinement would be a pleasure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Rather than our worst punishment. That's right. No, that's right. That makes us kind of go crazy. It's so true. Right? Yeah. It's so elusive. I mean, because we've, we've compli- it really isn't elusive. We're actually, you're telling us we are wired to go there naturally. Yes. And yet we complicate it so much and we make it more like, let's go online and start dating yeah. online. And yet you're missing the most basic, I mean, you need people, but... Yeah. But you also need to know how to create calmness and acceptedness and resonance right. and energy. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It's not just as simple as let, let me let me plug in my the five things that I that I like best. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and find somebody else that, that likes those. Well, right? yeah, because that's not it. I mean, it almost sounds like you need a little bit of tension mm-hmm. to create the health instead of mm-hmm. just having everything the way you want it. Right. Exactly. Right. Right. That's right. Because relationships are always at least about two people, uh-huh. right? Um, the healthy ones are. They, they, right, exactly. Yeah. Well, well, well said. Um, and so there, there is always that level of tension there. But when it feels safe, it's a good connection that actually you grow in and the other person grows in, and the whole relationship grows, right? Uh-huh. And that feeling of sort of growing in relationship and being understood and gotten and all of that really is a feedback loop that just keeps you going back to it over and over again. Yeah, and then it's almost like you, you're in sync. And my right. need, my, my, we've created these neuropathways that actually are simpatico. They work together. Right, right. They are. And, and in that, it doesn't mean that nobody ever gets in a fight yeah, or no, angry, no. but that there is, you know, that conflict can be in that relationship, right? Safely. Yeah. And, and because it's necessary, and in that conflict can be you can have a partner that has anxiety, and you can become together an effective couple managing that absolutely that issue that disorder. Yeah, because everybody's got something. Right? Yeah, 
Yeah. Everybody's got I mean, one. everything. Yeah. And eventually, I kind of just always joke, but it's not a joke. Yeah. Eventually, we're all going to have it. And eventually, too, one of my concerns about relationships, sometimes we always think it's got to be, um, how do you say this? We always think it's got to be equal mm-hmm. or fair. Mm-hmm. And in reality, um, in reality, at the most important times in the relationship, a lot of times it's not equal and fair. Like right. when she's sick or when yeah. she's dying, it's not going to just be equal. That's right. But it's That's super. Right. It's still valuable. That's right. Yeah, we really talk about um, you know the the group that I'm with at at Wellesley and the Gene Baker Miller Training Institute really talk about mutuality. And when you talk about mutuality, I, love that I know word. it's a kind of a, a you know a word that people aren't going to use every day, but it's really the give and take is measured almost in different ways, yeah. right? Because what you can get out of taking care of somebody that's dying can be profound. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, you know, and, and it's not its not just the tasks. It's, you know, being connected to somebody in a way that you want to do this, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Some, in some days it's going to be, I just have to do this yeah. because I'm committed to this person and relationship. But, you know, you're really talking about a whole other level of relating that isn't like that zero sum. Yeah game who's getting what yeah i mean and you you're you're actually fulfilling it feels like you're fulfilling your creation it feel you're fulfilling yeah. all of these gifts and skills are all being added upon it's beautiful yeah yeah that's absolutely. how how do you define mutuality well you know so this is what one of the things that i learned many many years ago from jean baker miller she talked about i mean mutuality is that sort of give and take yeah. but i think it's important to think about what how do you know if you're in a growth-fostering relationship or a healthy relationship? And when it's mutual, you feel five things, five good things. Yeah. One is that you have that sense of energy or zest. Yeah. The other, uh, second thing is that you have clarity about yourself and the other person and the relationship. It's not that sort of fuzzy yeah. thing. You have a greater sense of self-worth. You value yourself and the other person, so that's built in. You have a sense of being able to act both out in the world, but also in the relationship, right? Yeah. You're mad, you bring it into the relationship. You're happy, you bring it into the relationship. And finally, with these four things, you end up with a greater sense of wanting to connect with other people, hmm. right? Yeah, go bigger um, than just us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be us against the world. There's right. sort of an expansive um, thing. And I think I, I use those both for myself, but also for, you know, anybody I'm working with to really think, because people don't know what it feels like. Oh, yeah. That is, that, where have you been, Amy Banks? (laughs) We've been, we've been right out here in Wellesley, Massachusetts. I need to get there, for heaven's sake. Okay, we, okay, I've got to have you back on the show. I would love to come back Okay, we, we're going to get in touch with you, and because you have so much stuff. I mean, Wellesley, Wellesley's a woman's college, right? I mean that's where how have I where not heard been? but how yeah. have I not heard about um Gene Baker Miller's training institute Yeah okay. well, I listen, thought I've... you go to jbmti.org okay. but also have anybody else do it and and you'll see I mean this is work we've really been doing yeah. for 40 years now Oh I love um, it But I would yes please be in touch with me You I'd bet for sure to... We'll have you back and um cuz I think we could talk about this forever but we also need experts like you to help us through just life. There's so much going on every day, and that's what we try to do on the show is make it about learning, not just spewing the news, but let's figure out how to really click. 
Uh, Amy, thank you so much. Everybody, go check out the book, Four Ways to Click, Rewire Your Brain for Stronger, More Rewarding Relationships. Again, and also go check out the JBMTI uh, website as well. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back to the Coach's Corner, where we're going to discuss this a little bit uh, further. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, that was great. I felt like, uh, you know, I felt like I just met a sister. You were like a kid in a candy store. I know. Uh-huh. It's because I study all this, and I, I feel like I'm the only one that talks about it. And all of a sudden, there's a whole book and a whole group of people. We've had many books I know. They all seem the same, I know, but this one's different. <laughs> okay. Anyway, welcome back. Um, James, did you listen? Oh, yeah. Because the whole time, Sean and I are thinking, we hope you and McKinnon are learning this. <laughs> no, no, seriously. I was, I'm just as big of a fan, maybe a little more than you, actually. Well, really? Yeah, I was taking notes and everything. Well, because this is, you're going to be living this. Yes. Well, so, we- do, you and, do you and McCall... Click. <laughs> That's weird because McCall. We have a McCall out there. Mark, that's not the same person. Yeah, no, Her different person. Just, different person. Uh, so, I mean, do you guys click? Did you do you click? Do you feel calm? Yeah, that that's the thing. Is that how she said that this is all kind of like natural? Yeah, and it's cool just hearing her talk about it and like evaluating what I've been feeling. That you know, you are you you naturally feel these things yeah. if it's an, a, a good healthy relationship. But then the key is going to be to keep it happening. Yeah. To right? develop those habits. Yeah. And, and, yeah, because if not, you know, eventually, you know, she'll offend you. Then you'll be mad and hurt. You'll withdraw. And you won't be resonating with each other. Mm-hmm. And then you got to just remember in the back of your head, she's got a knife set. <laughs> that you gave her. That you gave her. She's really good at throwing them. She, is she a knife thrower? Well, I think so. She tells me a lot about that. You That's know, usually a different set of knives than kitchen knives, though, isn't it? Well, it depends. Well, if you're good at throwing knives, it doesn't matter what knife it is. To a knife thrower— they've got to be balanced. Come pro- on. No. <laughs> to a knife thrower, it probably doesn't matter. Does it matter to a really good, for example, professional quarterback if the if the ball is but two the, pounds heavier or two pounds lighter PSI? <laughs> Does it really matter? You can no, still it doesn't. win games. Still win games. But that's because it's a symmetrical object. <laughs> yeah, but to a knife thrower— Shall we get the science out? We digress. Yes. Hey, um, she talked about mutuality. And one of the things I am a big uh, believer in, and I learned it with my little son. So I had a neighbor, and he might be listening. And so I just want him to know I love him. But I have a neighbor who across the street, he was the neighbor that would mow his lawn about twice a week. Okay. Okay. He's the neighbor that makes everybody else look bad. He's not making it look bad. He's making his lawn look good. Yeah. Now, her, I would feel me. the same way about you, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you. you, you yeah, because that's a lot of work. But my son. Because um, I used to have a neighbor like that. Did you? Who I thought, you know, oh, man, his lawn always looks so nice. And my wife would, we'd drive by and my wife would say, wow. Wow. My wife never did that, luckily. <laughs> that's such a, wow. What a great looking yard. I wonder what it takes to make 
a yard look that great? And I'm like, I don't know. Why don't you marry our neighbor? <laughs> She's like, what are you talking about? Um, but my son, every time this man would go to his yard, mm-hmm. and every night he was in the yard, and he was like, he'd at times, he was the guy that would wear those uh, aeration shoes that would like uh-huh. poke holes in his lawn. But I'll bet you this is the guy, this is what he does for his relaxation. It he goes is. out in his That's yard. Right. That's right. Yeah. So he's out there relaxing, and my little boy would go to the window, mm. and he'd like be like, bah, 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 bah. The guy's name was Barry. Bah. And then he, then when he got a little older, he started saying, barsh, barsh. He sounded like a dog. Barsh, <laughs> barsh. And, um, and I, I, every time I'd go to the window, and I'd, oh, yeah, there's Barry. Yeah, there's Barry. And this is what was cool. I kept thinking my son wanted me to get out to go do the yard. So it would always kind of irritate me. But he wasn't. No, he didn't. All he wanted me to do was share looking at Barry. <laughs> So mm-hmm. I'd go over there and we'd look at Barry and I'd say Barry and he'd say he'd say Barsh and we'd just look at each other and then we'd look back at Barry and he'd look at me like yeah Barsh mm-hmm. and for about five minutes till I could distract him. There you go. <laughs> he didn't want to change me to go out and mow my lawn. He didn't want me to be like Barry. He just wanted us to have a shared experience, mm-hmm. mutual experience. And in our lives, most of us aren't having mutual experiences, even though we're there at the same time. You could go to a jazz game. When my wife and I go to a jazz game, my experience and my wife's experience, completely different. Totally. Like, I know everything that's going on in the courts. I I know who those players are. I'm into it. My wife knows where all of her friends are sitting. Yes. She's found 14 people she knows from high school. She's like, look over there. I'm like, what? Do you see over there by portal number ZZ? On the kiss cam. Yeah. Do you see that? Oh, and then she's like, oh, I hope we're on the kiss cam. I want to be on the kiss cam. What does it take to get on the kiss cam? I don't know. I think we apply. Where do we apply? I'm going to go apply for the kiss cam. <laughs> she's all about the kiss cam. I'm like, Let's just watch the game. Just watch the game. But what she's trying. So what happens is she's just wanting to have a mutual experience. Mm-hmm. She's doing it her way. I'm doing it my way. And then we leave thinking we went to the jazz game together, but nothing was shared. Right. Yeah. So, James, my advice to you and all of us out there in listener land is we've got to learn how to have a, how to have mutuality, mm-hmm. how to be in a shared experience, in the now, right now, mm-hmm. ugh, with the people we love. And technology is making it harder. Oh, yes. But what's really making it harder is we are messed up because we would rather avoid the calm acceptance, resonance, and energy that comes from a relationship. We'd rather avoid that to go to our quiet little you know, silo and not have anything. Mm-hmm. We've got to get mutuality. And by the way, if we can have it in our marriages, we could have it in our families. If we can have it in our families, we can have it in our communities. And communities can change countries and countries can change the world. So here we sit having every war, every battle, every issue that's going on is we're not living a shared world. We have this completely non-shared world and then everybody's fighting for their share instead of just – learning to share and it starts in the family just that like, it always does that once like you said it'll it'll extend from there because yeah. the fifth element she said you will have a greater sense of wanting to connect with others when you have that so, healthy and then you can go out and change the world let's exactly. first get in ourselves and make sure that we are we talking it. about a bruce willis movie oh my heavens it always goes back to movies with him if you <laughs> notice that the fifth element yeah yeah okay anyway <laughs> we're going to uh take a break and wrap up uh the eight o'clock hour 
Good stuff, folks. We'll be back right after this. More on the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio.